Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, September the 17th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hello. And Mr. Bob Ryer. Heidi ho. Stephanie is feeling a little under the weather after Ooh. her Montreal Comic Con experience. Lafayette's Revenge. We start off with a bang right there. You were saying, Stephanie, <laughs> just tries to feel bad. The, two, the, the first two cons that I went to, I got like disturbingly sick afterwards con crud and whatnot with all the stuff that she goes to i'm surprised that this doesn't happen more often she's a soldier i, I agree yeah. with you i agree with you um i'm usually like taking a like a main line of vitamin c after a con <laughs> to make sure i don't get sick oh yeah um and she's traveling back and forth going to ones every weekend um but yeah she is a little under the weather tonight so she will not be joining us um but we will soldier on uh without her we're gonna be talking about death in comics this week it's kind of in a celebration of the Death of Wolverine storyline that's happening right now. We've kind of talked about it off and on a little bit. You mentioned it, how you know how good or not good it is and, and how he's going to be back and all that stuff. So I figured we'd talk more about kind of the the idea of death in comics, both in superhero comics and in indep- independent comics and the differences between the two and what works and what doesn't. Um, anything recent, we are not going to spoil from anyone, so don't worry about you know huge spoilers coming in at you. Darn. Uh, we'll mention series where characters have died. Well, we will say that much, but we are not going to talk about the particular characters. Anything older, though, anything mm. 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, we'll, we'll talk about. Hey, kids, Uncle Ben is dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and things that are big kind of status quo in the current universes, we'll talk about. Um, Damien Wayne, stuff like that, because it's what the universe is doing right now, so it's kind of hard not to talk about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a month of stories about him being they did. dead. So. And There's still, more. They're still yeah. doing it. There's like a year now. Uh, so... We're still gonna we're gonna talk about that kind of stuff. Um, of course, we're gonna do books of the week and, and our lightning round uh, as well. Um, last week, you know, we we had our 150th show and it was awesome. Thanks to everybody who called in, everyone who wrote in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, we'll definitely do more call-in shows in the future. Um, but because of that, we didn't get to talk about uh, some of the new stuff that came out in, in the weeks uh, previous. Uh, the the sales numbers came out l- last week as well. Huh. Um, I'll go down the, the top 10 here and then like always, then we'll kind of comment on some other ones. I'm sure Bob has written some down that he wants to talk about. Sure. Uh, number one, uh, which seems to always happen when there's not a new number one or something big that just popped uh, like an event or something. Uh, Batman in number 34, 112,000. Uh, number two, amazing Spider-Man uh, number five at 101,000, which is a definitely up, an uptick uh, for that book. Usually resting around 90. I definitely think that the Spider-Verse stuff mm-hmm. is starting to spool up and, and mm. the, their numbers are going up. Uh, number three, Original Sin. Number seven, 91,000. Uh, 
if people are wondering why we haven't talked about Original Sin, it's because I have not read the end of it. I kind of lost interest about halfway through. I have all of them. I just yeah. have not read them. I yet. tried reading seven and eight before tonight's show, and I, I couldn't fit it in. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it, though. Um, number four, Multiversity, number one at 90,000. What a great debut for a really crazy book. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. we'll see how we have number issue two or you know the next mm-hmm. one shot coming out this week. It scares people away. So we'll see how that's going to how that goes. Um, Superior, Superior Spider-Man, number 32 at 87,000. Nice. Um, not often you see a book that no longer exists being yeah. in the in the, in the top uh, five. Uh, Walking Dead number one thirty at seventy one thousand. Harley Quinn number nine at seventy one thousand. I'm Amazing Spider Man one point four at sixty six thousand. So you're looking at like two hundred thousand copies of Spider Man yeah. sold. Um, number nine Guardians of the Galaxy sixty thousand and number ten Batman Eternal number eighteen at fifty eight thousand. Um, it's interesting that that uh, number eighteen is is up, and then nineteen, twenty, and twenty one are all right around fifty eight thousand, all in that same group at fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Um, Rocket Raccoon number two, fifty six thousand, obviously a giant drop from the the first round. Eighty one percent. Eighty one percent. Wow. Uh, Hundred thousand well, of those, obviously, the bundle right? are the bundle with with the loot crate. So it's still probably a fifty percent drop um, from hmm. from from the actual sales. Um, Grayson number two, fifty six thousand, still doing well. It's a good numbers for that yeah, book. Only dropped thirty thousand. Yeah. Which is that's good. You yeah. know, you look at it the same way as the movie box office. You do forty eight fifty higher, you've got a problem. But thirty percent okay, you've got a nice solid reship. That stays at fifty six. Yeah. Saga fifty five thousand, still hanging on there. And then you know, it's just a lot of what you what you expect to, to be there. Lots of Batman, lots of Supermans, lots of Avengers, lots of Wolverines. Um, number thirty-two, Outcast uh, by Kirkman and Asaseta is at forty-six thousand. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I'm looking for the next not Marvel or DC book, and I am not seeing a uh, fade out. The uh, oh, nice uh, Brubaker uh, Phillips book at number sixty-one uh, at thirty-four thousand. It's new. It's old. Bob, do you have anything you wanted to point out? I thought it was interesting that well, Storm dropped forty-six percent first mm. to second issue. There was. Hmm. So that, that may not look good for that moving forward, but we have to see what three does. Uh, I thought the biggest news, honestly, look, I, I love the fact that a digital, formerly digital book, Sensation One, sold 29000 mm-hmm. which mm. not so bad, considering people could buy it for $0.99 cents nope. before. The books were down, though, a million six this month, wow. copies. There was actually 21% down from the month before. Now, some of that, I guess, is end of summer back to school mm-hmm. whatever else is going on so it'll be right. interesting to see if this next month if september is an uptick but that's a that's a chunk yeah i mean also you know obviously we ha- we're at the end of events you know there's not a lot mm-hmm. of new number ones on this list um you know there there's we, we the spider-man event hasn't started the new marvel event hasn't started because the last one is not done but <laughs> at this point I feel like Original Sin feels a lot like to me what um, kind of Fear Itself was a few years ago, which was something that people didn't aren't really jazzed about either way. I know some people have really liked it and some people haven't liked it, but it, it, the, the um, quality aside, it just doesn't seem like people, many people are invested in talking about it. Yeah. So that's that, that seems to be the problem with that. I haven't really heard much of anything. I mean, I'm going to talk about an Original Sin tie-in in a little bit, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, I, I watch Twitter you know, every day, just because that's kind of where I socialize and such. Mm-hmm. And I'd never see anybody talking about it, concerned, asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there's anything in the forums uh, of people like wondering what happened with that book. There is a few people who've been talking about it, and I saw some reaction on Twitter to the, the last issue, and it wasn't very positive. Mm-hmm. But um, 
uh, yeah, I just don't think that it didn't it didn't hit, and I think that there's just they the, the, the fact that they start advertising the next one before this one is done. I think, and we're going to talk about like this sort of in the same vein when we talk about death in comics. It starts to lessen the the immediacy of the events. You know, yeah, there's no urgency, right? You know, the, the one thing you'll say about DC is that when Forever Evil was going on, there was no talk about what was coming next after Forever Evil. It was just this is what's going on, mm-hmm. and then eventually they're going to announce the, the next one. But they really do like one a year, and Marvel seems to do four, four a year. Yeah. You oh, know? well, there's another one every time you turn around. Yeah, I mean, Access is going to start up next month, I think. Um, and so then, if you solicit original sin as this will have the secrets that will change the relationships of these characters mm. in ways you couldn't believe, <laughs> except then you reboot them with access and we start again. And then time runs out, of course. Yeah, and time, <laughs> run, yeah. time is going to run out. Can I just tell you, uh, I was away in Canada when you guys were mm-hmm. podcasting. Your comment about you said uh, time runs out and you said something about your patience. Well, so is my patience. I... <laughs> died really i died <laughs> i was by myself listening to the show in the kitchen doing dishes and i just i fell over with laughter i was dying so thank you for that you're welcome oh, it was amazing mm. so perfect um in the trade paperback world here we've got a uh, number one was thanos infinity revelation the hardcover from marvel Ooh. uh sold almost ten thousand copies uh number two was fables volume 20 camelot um almost nine thousand copies then deadpool versus carnage uh trillium batman earth one Interesting. I guess I think it just went to paperback. Okay. So I think that's why yeah. it's been hardcover the whole time. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One, Cosmic Avengers. No surprise why that would be on the list. Saga Volume Three, Watchmen hardcover, Saga Volume One, and Saga Volume Two round hmm. out the top. 10. Watchmen hardcover. Yeah. That's random, but mm-hmm. expected. I think it just always sells very yeah. well. So I'm kind of having difficulty with the Batman Earth One thing. Yeah. That's the trade. Yeah. It's I think well you know because it came out in hardcover. So I think that it just came out in, in yeah, software. Yeah, we bought it and read it when it was hard. That was like two years ago. It was two years ago, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, they're spooling up for the, you know, the, the next round of those Earth 1 books. Teen Titans Earth 1 by Jeff Lemire Ooh. is coming out. Um, I mean, I don't have no idea what's going on with the, the Wonder Woman one. The Grant Morrison, Yannick Paquette one. Uh, those books were cool. Yeah, and uh, Batman Earth 1 number 2 is supposed to come out um, early next year. So we'll see what happens with that. But those are the sales numbers uh, for the week. Like Bob was saying, for the month, like Bob was saying, not a not a great month. Uh, we'll see what happens as as we go forward. There's one other number I want to throw in. Yeah, Captain America down to thirty thousand mm. in a year where the movie was one of the biggest hits of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, down another ten and a half percent. So you got to figure Sam Wilson mm-hmm. going to make a difference. Yeah, and I, also I think it's one of these situations where it's kind of like, you know, when you're when Apple announces a new iPhone, like the the sales in between when they announce yeah. the the new iPhone and when the new one comes out, the sales of the old phone are going to dip dramatically. Yeah, because people are like, oh, okay, well, this is done. Like, what, why am I going to get this? It's the thing. It's the same thing with these stories. You know, once you hear that there's something a big change coming, I, I think that the the more casual people are just picking it up to pick it up are going to go, okay, well, I'll just wait till the the big yeah. the, the change comes, and then that will be when it. Because these two issues, who needs them? Yeah, exactly. And we've seen um. We saw our first kind of pages from Thor, uh, oh. from Russell Dowderman and uh, Jason Aaron. They some preview pages popped up uh, on online. Uh, Marvel released them, and the, it, the art looks great. I mean, obviously we have no dialogue or anything yet, but yeah. uh, just kind of you just still don't see who she is. You just see a, like a, a shot of the hammer on the moon, and her hand on the hammer, and it changes from you know he to she uh, mm. on, the, on the hammer. Here's the question. Yeah, this 
comic book release day this week. Mm-hmm. Um, the final issue, number 25 of Jason Aaron's Thor God of Thunder comes out, yes. the God-sized final issue, mm-hmm. and <laughs> the 5.5 of the original Sin tie-in mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. Do you think we're going to find out what's up like tomorrow? I think so, yeah. Or are we going to have to wait until October to see the change? I think, no, I don't think you're going to see her get the hammer tomorrow, but I think you'll find out probably why he loses it yeah, tomorrow. You'll see the end of Thor and both okay. of those, or both. Unless they're saving that for Avengers, I'm not sure where that's going to happen, because it could happen in Avengers as well. Hmm. hmm. Well, doesn't one of the cover solicits for the two issues out show her on the cover? Yeah, yeah, I'm saying, but I, yeah. yeah, I'm saying, but this month we, we might, it might that that changeover might happen more in Avengers than it happens in hmm. uh, in uh, you know, in the in the other books. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, who knows? Uh, what could it be? I'm sure somebody knows, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. I want to read the book and find out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so yeah, so that that's it with that. Um, really quick stuff, interesting stuff coming. Uh, so obviously we have you know, there's Justice League 3000, uh, which is written um, by. Uh, Keith Giffen and uh, James DeMatteis. Mm-hmm. And apparently the pre-New 52 Blue Beetle and Booster Gold are joining that book. Of course it's Keith Giffen. Yeah. Uh, which in an interview, Keith Giffen said, well, what do you think that says about where our book takes place? So apparently Justice League 3000 doesn't take place in the New 52 universe. Um, so that means it still exists. So Grant Morrison has probably read that interview, and he's <laughs> right now changing issue three, <laughs> multiversity. It'll now be delayed. Yeah. So uh, speaking of delays, actually, just real quick, um, Death of Wolverine is, is delayed a couple of weeks. The, no! Yeah, issues, it's it, until October. It's not. It was supposed to come out and be done by, I think, the 1st of October. Now it's going to be October 8th or something like that where mm. it'll, it'll be done. Um, I understand. Yeah. So it's, it's a few weeks delayed. Did you see that art? Delayed. That art is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Steve McNiven, it, it, beautiful. Beautiful stuff. Uh, so yeah, so those are a couple news items. I mean, I don't, I don't read Justice League three thousand. I'm ex- I love Booster Gold, so it makes me interested in possibly checking it out. Giffen's a guy to read doing them right. from those old Justice League International. Crazy Did you stories happen to? Oh, I'm sorry about. Go ahead, no, go. Did you happen to catch the news about Alan Moore writing a novel that's about a million words? No, I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, he's written a million-word novel. Has yet to have has yet to have it be edited, <laughs> but it's a million words long. Mm. So, it look with a photo of him, like the promotional for it. It looked like it took him a million years to write it. <laughs> well, he also looks like a crazy like. He's rip, an interesting rip, rip dude. Van Winkle, like he really yes, crossed with the Unabomber. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, <laughs> he's also writing crossed. Now that series, really? Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. He, he, he's starting. Yeah, there's a news item about it today. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, it also announced today then that that uh, Fox is partnering with DC to do a show about Lucifer, the the uh, character created by Neil Gaiman and Sandman, and who eventually got his own long running uh, Vertigo mm-hmm. series. They're going to do a series on that. So yeah. a lot of stuff. They, yeah. Wasn't the Titans yep. thing announced this week? Yeah, Titans thing, a Teen Titans show for TNT, I believe. That's yeah. where they're putting that one to. DC is blowing up your TV. And they are. They're going to be everywhere. Um, so there's that. And we also, I, I don't I don't know if, I don't think we talked about this last week at all. Charles Soule is exclusive to Marvel. So, uh, doesn't That doesn't include a creator on stuff, but anything, no, no DC work anymore. Once his DC work is wrapped up, interesting. he's done and he's going to be all Marvel. Yeah, I wonder what that says for Superman, Wonder Woman. Will they continue? I bet they will continue. It sells pretty well. I think it was in the top twenty. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm sure it'll keep going. He he said uh, in an interview he talks about he's like I've proven to myself that I can write 15 books in a month. 
He's like, but I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> and this allows me not to do that anymore. So, I mean, good, good for him. It's, I think it's interesting. I mean, uh, Pacino on the, on the forums wanted to know what we thought of it. And uh, I, I think that I, I, I understand why writers and artists do it because it's guaranteed money. It, it, it's, it's more of a living wage. You don't have to, like Charles Soule, doesn't have to scramble and do 15 books in a month in order to pay his rent and be able to do comics full time. You know, I always think it's, I, I never think exclusive things are good either way because I feel like I would like if Charles Soule has a great story for a character at one company, I wish he would be able to write that story. Hmm. But if it allows him to do his work and do better work and maybe focus more, then I think that that's great. And if he has an out to do his creator own work, hmm. that's very important because then those books don't disappear. Right. He won't be all over in the other side of town. Well, actually, the other side of the country, DC's moving by the time yes. he signs his new deal. Hmm. That's I, don't, I think it's a good trade-off just from what you're saying. You may get a happier, more focused writer on the books that he really wants because he, he could have chosen to sign either side, I'm sure. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he picked what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, contracts run out. So oh, yeah. eventually he'll move on to do other stuff. But the idea of Charles Soule writing for Marvel and possibly being on, you know, he's writing in Human right now. Is he writing any other Marvel books? She-Hulk. She-Hulk, right. She-Hulk, and yeah. he's doing Death of Wolverine. Okay, mm-hmm. so obviously those are good books. Mm-hmm. So he's a quality writer. I would love to see him uh, write other Marvel characters for a while. It's a shame for those books that he is writing at DC that they'll be losing his talent. But they have a lot of other you know talented people that could have their turn on the on those characters and books. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that I, I think this signals that you're going to see Charles Soule kind of be uh, one of the major players yeah. most likely at marvel you're going to see him up there with the Aarons and the fractions and the bendises and all that stuff he's going to be one of the architects of their universe that's awesome i would not be surprised if when hickman stops writing avengers that charles soul is the writer they choose to oh, write the yeah. avengers if i was going to pick if i was going to think of anyone out there um, who hasn't written it yet you know i mean jason Aaron's obviously a possibility as well but i don't i don't feel like that does it seems more like a charles soul joint to me, <laughs> uh, I don't know. That, that, that's that's my inkling is that you're going to see him writing the Avengers. So long as he's still writing Letter Forty Four. Yeah, he I'm said good. he said that's he's going to write that till it's it's done till he's done with it. Yeah, I'm excited. No, that's cool news. Mm. I like him a lot. Yeah. you know, as as a writer and and just interacting with him and meeting him at shows and stuff, he's a good dude. Very very talented. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. well, it's not as jarring as some things because he has been in both places already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when Peter David went to DC, it's no what that just doesn't seem right but he did great work over there you know same idea john byrne did superman but it is sort of i don't yeah how's that over there why is your name on this book with this other logo on it? i don't i would imagine it. that they offered him some pretty sweet gigs like mm-hmm. for for future stuff coming out that they haven't announced yet that maybe you know enticed him to come over to that side mm-hmm. and, and sign with them and be like you know as a comic book writer this is to write like if let's say it's the Avengers mm. to write the Avengers is a milestone in your career right. and is you know feather in your cap mm-hmm. kind of thing if they were kind of like hey man you know Hickman's leaving and we we would like for you to write Avengers you'd be like yeah yeah mm-hmm. I'd like to do that very mm-hmm. much thank you they may have also pitched to him you pitched to us right what, what would you like to write in our characters you can have your choice mm-hmm. give or take there are a couple you can't right. but what, what would you like <laughs> right yeah Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we know it's interesting. We'll see because we know Hickman's leaving. He said that he's going to be leaving Avengers um, 
in I think it's six six months or whatever it's gonna when be. Time when runs time out. runs out. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to see. I mean I think there's a couple writers out there that have the chance to step up, but I don't like I feel like Jason I don't I don't see Jason Aaron doing it. I, I definitely don't see Fraction doing it. I feel like Fraction mm-hmm. is moving away from doing the superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Charles Soul is probably one of the number one contenders to, to do that. Um all right. So uh that's it for a couple of news items. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Let's do our, our lightning round. Steve, you've got three minutes. I have three minutes. Are you ready? I will be in five seconds. <laughs> Those are a vital five seconds. I'm good. I'm good. You good? Yeah. Ready? Lightning round, go. All right. So uh, I mentioned Original Sin before, and here we are with an Original Sin tie-in, X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, number 25, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by Brian Bocciolo. And I really, I, I enjoy, I always enjoy Uncanny X-Men, but this issue in particular was very cool. We get to get into the the meat. I'm sure that there's more to come. Uh, Professor X, as we know, is passed away, but he's left his last will and testament to the school and to his X-Men to carry out his wishes and whatnot. As we watch the video, we learn that Charles has been keeping an original sin, a secret from everyone. And can I... Well, I mean, yeah, it's pretty. It happens right right away. It does. Yeah, yeah. Um, his original sin. This is nothing new for Charles Xavier. He's been keeping the existence of a certain mutant secret from everyone for the longest time. And long story short, he needs his team to basically take up the mantle of being this mutant's caretaker. And before time runs out, <laughs> they have to ma- they have to make it to this young man and see that he doesn't do any more destruction than he already has in the past. Really, really cool stuff. Fantastic art. The abilities of of the new mutant, who basically he can take things from other dimensions and manifest them with his mind. Um, the Bachelo art, uh, Buchalo art, is just it's perfect for that kind of you know weird mental vibrations going around and apparitions and whatnot. Really, really cool stuff. So um, the other book that I wanted to mention really quick is a book from Boom Studios. And it is written by, created by Dan Abnett and INJ Colbard, who also does the art and illustrations. Uh, It's called Wilds End Number One. And if I could, it is Wes Anderson meets War of the Worlds. If you guys just want a general idea, uh, painted picture of that. Basically, it starts out with a fox named Foxy. It's all anthropomorphic uh, animal people in the story. Foxy sees something in the sky and he's drunk. He sees, you know, lights in the sky and he wakes up the next morning gibbering about it. And they turn to a new resident of the town named Mr. Slipaway, who's a former detective who has come to Lower Crow Church looking for, you know, retirement and just to relax. But he can't help but be intrigued by Foxy's story and decides to gather a posse of townsfolk. And they're going to go and explore and investigate this supposed alien happening that's going on in their town. The book is surprisingly violent, but still safe. Uh, you can read it. Uh, it's an all-ages book so far. And if you like great sci-fi and you're a fan of like Wes Anderson, particularly Fantastic Mr. Fox kind of vibe, you're definitely going to want to seek this out. It's Wild's End number one from Boom Studios. Thank you very much. All right. Awesome. How much time did I have left? Two seconds. Yeah. Now, I love the cover of that because that's Wells' original tripod yeah. things. It's, you know, I, we only have three minutes, so I don't get to go mm-hmm. on about it. But it's very, uh, I, I've said this before on podcasts, I love books with their own language. 
um, Spaceman is is one of those one of those books. This is another one where when you step into this world into this comic, you feel like you're in this town where they have weird dialects and you know funny accents and stuff like that. Very very cool stuff. Nice, cool, awesome. Yeah. All right, Bob, you ready? Sure. Lightning round, go. Empire of the Dead is back. It's Act Two, Number One, and George Romero is. Continue to be a really solid story, particularly some good character moments between Joe and the zombie SWAT officer Xavier. You've got Paul and Dr. Penny Jones and the mayor. And and the well, the art here, it's, it's Dalibor Talajic. It's good. Alex Malise was exceptional. So I'm going to hang in for a while here because the story is so solid, but it's just such a come down on the art. I'll hand that off to Steve. He'll take a look. <laughs> so I can judge it. Right. <laughs> Fantastic Four, number 10. Uh, still not where I'd like it to be, but some of the pieces are slowly coming together. However, slowly is the operative word. <laughs> uh, Hawkeye number 20, Matt Fraction, Annie Wu. It's Kate Bishop and an L.A. crew. They take the fight to Madame Mask, Whitney Frost in this case, but not before Kate gets arrested and becomes a party attraction as a sushi girl with salmon roe on her nether regions. <laughs> <laughs> she does I know I read it and I also picked up Hawkeye versus Deadpool after you guys all recommended it and that was just so hysterical I, <laughs> nice I, I'm glad you liked I, it I think I will buy the next one too mm. I really think so now we've got two books that I guess everyone's expecting me to rave about so who am I to disappoint listeners uh, Captain Marvel number number seven here which I can't say too much about though the art is by Marcio Takara uh, though we do have a Jamie McKelvey cover don't want to say too much and give away some really cool stuff, so I'll just say that the issue is very, very funny with some really interesting twists and to whet your appetite. Next issue is called Release the Flurkin. <laughs> you should be ready for that. Ms. Marvel number 8, G. Willow Wilson, Adrian Ofana is back. At the end of the last issue, Steve Rogers and Medusa were discussing Wolverine's report on the new Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. And so to look after Kamala, Medusa sends Lockjaw, the teleporting inhuman dog, Needless to say, hilarity ensues, including the evergreen, well, he followed me home, can I keep him? <laughs> Dog is as big as a Buick. Uh, the plot threads about the inventor are still there, the missing kids all there, so there's still, in all this wacky stuff, there is still humanity and really cool heroism stuff, funny, funny moments. Mini robots, giant, goofy robots. I mean, what a mess this is. <laughs> but you've got Ms. Marvel in class in a Captain America t-shirt. Yes. So, cheers to Ms. Marvel. That's it for me. Wow, Bob, you have a lot of time left. <laughs> you had 40 seconds left. Wow. Well, okay, then really quickly, you want to talk about Ms. Marvel? Sure. Or something? Go ahead. Well, what do you, you want? You can use some of my time. You used <laughs> all yours. Um, would you want to talk? Okay, so I'll sure, talk, yeah, I, want yeah, to, I want to talk about Hawkeye for a second. Okay. Uh, I'll stop the timer. Uh, good to get like kind of the cap on the Kate Bishop story, I feel. And usually I'm a huge fan of the out-of-sequence storytelling and the, the very clever way he uses time. But in this issue, I, it, it felt too convoluted and confusing to me. I had to go back a second time. I'll yeah. I, I, once, it, once it was over, I, put all, I started putting all the pieces together. But there were times in the middle where I was like, I do not know who she's talking to, when she's talking about it, where she is, because there was there's kind of flashbacks inside of flashbacks mm-hmm. in this. And the thing about when... when and I, look, I, I think that um, Annie Wu is awesome. I think she's a great artist, and I love that she's kind of taken the Kate half of the story and done a great job. 
But the thing that Aja does that that doesn't is that when he, when they're dealing with like these crazy kind of time flips and out of sequence moments, he he uses like particular art styles and, and changes like the color palette or to something contrast it. to yes. contrast it, so you know where you are. That, that's not done here. So I, I you had to you had to really look for as many context clues as you possibly could to pick it out, and I, I felt like that next level of confusion didn't fit the story that they were telling because there were some mysterious elements, obviously like it starts off with that conversation where she's talking to her father mm-hmm. and you don't know what she's saying. And then at the end you get the, the other half yeah, of that conversation, but about halfway of the book, you know what she's saying because you find out what the big revelation mm-hmm. is. So, you know, that, that just felt like it, it wasn't that, that, that other half of the conversation, which I felt like should have been like, and unlocking like a puzzle piece is unlocking something didn't do that for me. I was like, I already, I already knew what she was going to say before she said it, you mm. know, cause we, cause we already knew what was going on. Uh, I did think there was like, I, I felt like some of the revelations, like the big revelation about Madame mask, I felt like was, it was like one eighth of a page in the corner of a page. And I felt like that it didn't have the, the, the punch that I, that I wanted it to, or, you know, so I, those, those things kind of, I, I still loved the issue, but those are the things that kind of held me back from like, from really, really going crazy for it. Right. If this is going to be the last Kate story you wanted. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think there is one more or she'll be back. Well, there looks like look, they're reuniting yeah. at, uh, in the next issue. That's what it looks like in this. But who knows what the, or, what, what the order that these books come out. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Steve? I see Hawkeye over on your mm-hmm. pile there. Yeah, I, um, I gotta, I, I'll be honest with you. I, the Hawkeye book, I've really kind of fallen away from it in months past. The release schedule of it has been, beyond awkward mm-hmm. it's disappeared for months um the the plot threads and all the all the nuances of what was making this a really really great you know like virgin detective story have fallen away from it for me because of the way that it's been mm-hmm. released the bouncing i mean it was enough to bounce back and forth between Hawkeye and Lady Hawkeye each month. And when we had it each month Don't call her Lady Hawkeye. She's just Hawkeye. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fine. Hawkeye and Hawkeye. Uh it was it was not easy to follow, but it was doable. And you could get yourself into that state of mind and go with that story because, you know, it had only been a month. When it's four months since mm-hmm. you were in this world, like I don't even remember I had time. I had trouble remembering why she was even friends with with the couple that were helping her out. Like I remember now, mm-hmm. like she helped them with flowers, orchids for, yeah. the, for their wedding, yeah. right? But I just I had to like reach in and like reach back and be like, you know, ah. And this hasn't been going on for that long, mm-hmm. so it was. It, I I like the Madame Mask stuff. I still enjoy the book overall. I think that once we have all the issues, it's only going to twenty two. That if you read it again with everything being there, that it'll be much more enjoyable than it has been mm-hmm. to read Hawkeye for the last couple of months. This book was so like you could not shut people up about it. Mm-hmm. It was on the lips yeah. of every comic book reader for a for a good long while, and then you know strange stuff happened. Oh, I don't know what happened with Fraction. I can't speak to on anything, but he just like he disappeared, and the book disappeared, and with that, my fire for it also disappeared. Uh, and, uh, I'll say the one thing I was, I didn't remember what happened to that dude who showed back up when she gets in the car. I still don't know who the hell he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't remember, I didn't remember what had happened to him. So I I was like, there, there's something, I I remembered him from the, you know, the grocery store meetups and stuff, but I didn't remember what had happened to him. So that one was lost. I think it's all cause it's all, again, it's all cause of the way the book has been released. Yeah. 
I mean, when she makes the comment about, you know, oh, what's with the cat food? And he goes, oh, it's a metaphor. Mm -hmm. Metaphor for what? (laughs) I have no idea. I have no (laughs) idea what you're talking about, dude. (laughs) All right. So um, there's that. But I loved Ms. Marvel. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Oh, that book was wonderful. That book's always wonderful. Uh, All right. So my lightning round time. Here we go. Three minutes on the clock and go. All right, Superman Unchained, number eight. I believe we are now one issue from the end. I think it's going to number nine. Mm. Um, and, and I say that with, with with lack of confidence because I'm always confused about when it's ending because I kind of thought this was the last issue at first, <laughs> uh, but it is definitely not. Um, you know, big, big battle uh, with Superman fighting in the center of the earth, basically, <laughs> which is a pretty awesome, yeah, aw- awesome fight. Um, and, you know, again, sort of like Hawkeye, this book had a, like some, some delays and, and, you know, we're eight issues in and, and this started over a year ago. So uh, we've had months off and it's been a little bit rough, um, you know, because Lex Luthor pops up here and I feel like we haven't seen Lex Luthor since issue one, I think. And that was like a year and a half ago. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a little bit it's a little bit awkward in that way. Uh, but it's, it's a really great issue. Looks really great. Uh, excited to see how this kind of self-contained uh, story uh, comes to an end. Obviously, it's uh, Scott Snyder and Jim Lee. Or the team on that. And the other book I want to talk about is uh, Death of Wolverine, uh, number two. I-, I think this will be a series we definitely talk about in bulk when it- when it's all- when it's all done. Mm-hmm. But what struck me about this second issue, this is uh, Charles Solst and Steve McNiven, um, was that the first issue was very kind of um, lonely samurai, you know, disgraced samurai feel to it. Very, uh, you know, had these kind of very rich colors to it. It was very even though they had some deep violence to it, felt more like, you know, a samurai film. And this issue, we move away from that and we're in a totally different area, which is sort of like this more like political, not political, but world faring intrigue side of Wolverine, uh, where he, he goes to see, uh, Madame Viper, uh, who is ob- the one who's put out like a bounty uh, on him to figure out what's going on. And we, we got a big fight between him and Sabretooth and we get kind of a double, a double uh, reveal of who's going to be helping him through kind of the rest of this series. And the final reveal is great of, of who, of who's going to yeah. be helping him. Um, and, you know, I, I thought it was, it's side of Wolverine you don't usually see now. He doesn't have his powers. So he is having to go about things in, in a very different way. You know, he's wearing disguises. He, he's going in silently. He's trying to fool people and you don't, you don't ever see him do that. So I felt like this a total different type of book than the first issue, but equally as interesting and equally as rich to read. And not enough can be said about the, you know, the, the Steve McNiven art. It's just unbelievably gorgeous. I think it's the best he's ever done that I've seen. Uh, it's, it's great. I mean, I, it's wonderful, wonderful art. Uh, and yeah, death of Wolverine number two of four was really, really great. So I, I definitely recommend it. Yeah. That's definitely my lightning round. I was. Perfectly, I had five seconds left. <laughs> I'm really enjoying that book. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like I didn't. I didn't expect because I didn't read any of the previous stuff, and mm. I said, you know, I, I want to be there for the end, and uh, it's turned out to be quite the thing. Yeah, I'm showing Bob the the reveal at the end of who is helping him. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So there we go. That that is Ethel Wolverine. So let's move on to our books of the week. Steve, what do you got for us? I got a book, man. I got a. I got a. I got a really, really interesting book from Dark Horse Comics, and it's called Pop Number One. This came out a couple of weeks ago. It came out about three weeks ago, 
and it is written by story by Kurt, oh here we go with the names story by Kurt Piers uh, art by Jason Copland colors by Pete Toms and lettering by Ryan Ferrier uh, okay imagine a world unlike in our a world. Uh, in a world unlike <laughs> our own where we genetically grow and manufacture our pop stars. So Brittany, we're not doing that now, yeah. right? So it turns out that in this in this comic book world, Britney Spears was grown in a lab. They had all that's the, our world, boss. Growing all, <laughs> <laughs> all right. a, a petri dish at Disney World. All right. So it turns out that we've been lied to all You're this all- time. And behind the curtain, there is a factory that churns out these pop stars. Right. And pop stars, they make money. They make, people love them. They sell concert tickets. They sell, they sell an image is what they do. And they, you know, are their influences on our culture. So what you want to do is you want to tailor make these people so that they have your agenda so you can sell more tickets and you can pretty much control the masses by by their interests in who you are as an entertainer and as a person. This all sounds like you're talking about the real world. <laughs> that's kind of that's yeah. kind of the beauty yeah. of, of this of this whole thing. So it turns out that one of the one of the women uh, that has that's being grown inside of this factory has gone missing. Her name is L. Ray, and this whole event is pretty much triggered when a character by the name of Dustin Beaver. Uh, <laughs> decides that he's going to retire from public life. This is something that if you're a part of the industry, you do not do. There are consequences to you removing yourself and no longer being a part of the money-making machine, pretty much giving them the middle finger and saying, I'm tired of this deal. I'm going to go and do my own thing. You don't do that because if you do that, they send assassins after you that look like Joey Ramone and what's her face? Joan Jett. It's it's pretty phenomenal. They show up at his hotel room and pretty much tell him the whole the whole deal about how you can't just walk away from this industry. They blow out his kneecaps and let him just kind of like lay there and think about what he's done until the paramedics come. And they get um the two assassins come along and they get basically instructions to go after L who has run away from the factory and on the street has bumped into a shiftless layabout pothead who lives in LA who is going to keep her from the cops and from the industry and help her find a new life. This book is just absolutely weird. The art for it is pretty cool. It almost looks like something you'd find in the in the Sunday comics or um I don't know why, but it reminds me of like art you'd find in a, in a Cullen Bunn uh, series. I don't know if that makes much sense, <laughs> but it just, I don't know. It's got that. I've seen things that he's written that remind me of this. <laughs> anyway, if you guys like really off the wall stuff, maybe you can help me out. With that, Bobby. <laughs> <Take a look. laughs> if you guys like really off the wall stuff, this is about as off the wall as it gets. Just the concept alone sold me on this. I saw the cover for it and it's got kind of this like fashionista old style uh, photo uh, photo feel to it. And I'm like, oh, what's this? And I read the synopsis, the idea of a pop star being grown and bred that escapes the factory is going to expose the industry for all of its, you know, shady dealings and whatnot um, really, really drew me in. And it's really it's well written. It's funny. And there's only four issues of it. This is one of four. 
Uh, hopefully there's another one coming out either this week or next, and I'll know whether or not this is going to be continue to be solid. But uh, yeah, pop number one from Dark Horse Comics. If you guys have any interest in anything that I've mumbled or rambled about mm-hmm. in the last uh, four minutes, definitely seek out a copy and check it out. I would bet you that Joan Jett and Joey Ramon would, would shoot Justin Bieber to have him not make records <laughs> on purpose before, not not force him to come back. I just, I don't know. I was, I, I read this in the airport and I'm sitting there with my headphones on, cracking up to myself as I turn the page and I see this dude that's supposed to be Justin Bieber just like snorting lines off of prostitutes. <laughs> and then he answers the door and he gets his kneecaps blown out and they explain to him how, like, you know, you can't just you know, go away from, from what we've built for you. And it's just a, it's a fun concept. If you want to turn your brain off for a little while and read a a pretty funny book, uh, definitely check out pop number one. My question about it though, is do you think that the, the kind of referential nature of it is Mm going to get old? Like if it, it, is it more than just kind of a one-off amusement? I would I would worry about that if it was longer than four issues. Okay, yeah, I, I think four issues is just enough for the concept to continue, like to be funny within you know only four parts. Right. Yeah. There's only so much you can do. Was that like sixty four? Like whatever. Yeah, it makes sense. No, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I I I had a lot of fun with it. It's right up my alley. I mean that you see dumb shit from celebrities every day. This is kind of you know taking the piss out of them on a you know on a big big level but doing it tongue-in-cheek kind of stuff like the idea that the, that the assassins look like a dude from the ramones mm. and joan jett that these old i guess say old these you know legendary rockers that these icons of rock are dispatching you know they're dispensing the justice mm. for the yeah. industry right it's i think it's funny yeah totally you know um and the other book that was my my favorite thing or my favorite series uh, of the week is we were talking about Charles Soule earlier. And so I sat down and I've been collecting Inhuman, but I never read past the first issue. I don't know why. I just didn't get around to it. I sat down and I read one through five. And I got to say, this is really, really awesome. I know that the release schedule was, again, it was it was odd for yeah. a while. Um, some had said that the Joe Maguera art just, I mean, it's... It's so ridiculously detailed um, and not to, I definitely want to give credit to uh, Marte Gracia, who is the color artist and then VCs Clayton Cowles for letters. Um, the art changes actually over to uh, Ryan Stegman and issues, I believe four and five. So, but people have asked me, people were asking me over, over the weekend, you know, does it drop off at all? I would say no. Their styles aren't, they certainly are not the same, but they're complementary. And they're complimentary enough that Stegman tries to keep the vibe of the Joe Maguire art uh, in his style, kind of like when we've seen other people jump onto Hawkeye and stuff like that, how they've kept, you know, the aesthetic of the book. They've done that here. Uh, and what you have in Inhuman is you have this new character uh, by the name of Inferno, who's kind of broken away from this religious zealot character named Lash, who is an Inhuman. He's pretty much the Hitler of the inhuman race. And he's going around collecting the cocoons left by, you know, the giant inhuman, the mists, the Terrigen mists that came out and judging these new inhumans as to whether or not they're worthy based on their powers, based on how they come out of the cocoon. And he decides that he's going to build uh, like a, his own race of inhumans and the biggest scourge against the inhumans 
are the people that still reside in Adelon, which is basically resting atop New York City at this point and the Marvel Universe. Uh, we talk a lot about female characters on this show and, you know, strong female characters or just great, great characters in general. Bob, you're a big fan of Medusa. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. With Batgirl and She-Hulk and Black Widow and all the great stuff that they're doing with all the female characters right now. you just mentioned. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Medusa in this book is phenomenal. Just phenomenal. She commands such power and authority and still manages to go down and kick ass. Like they do stuff with her hair in these issues that I've never seen her do in other, in other books before previous fantastic four stuff and whatever. Uh, she is amazing. There were several times reading one through five where like, I just stopped on panels of her just to kind of soak it in that there's, you know, yet another female character within the comics universes that is just like an inspiration. She's awesome. So between finding power girl a couple weeks ago and always having like, you know, a thing for, for Medusa, but never really seeing her do a whole lot. She is definitely the main focus of this series, and she's spectacular in this book. Um, I think you would enjoy it for well, I picked up the for first alone. two. But was the second one actually in Human Number Two? That was all, yeah. an old Medusa issue, but that was no, no, that was, no, in that was in Humanity. In Humanity. Oh, the, ver- oh okay. the very not confusing nature of that that wording. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In Humanity was the thing that Fraction was writing, and then in, he was supposed to write in Human. Uh, in In Humanity, it was kind of kick off in Human. And then, yeah, so that was, it was a different story. This is like its own series. Right. Yeah. So my concern is, is that because of the release schedule and because of not only did it disappear for a couple, about two or three months, it was gone. Mm -hmm. And then they started double shipping because they had a bunch of issues ready to go and it was coming out like every other week for a little while. Now I think it's back to being once a month, but I know that that kind of behavior can scare a lot of people off where some people are just like, ah. You know, forget it. I'll just wait. I'm telling you, this is some really, really awesome stuff. And if, you know, I don't know what's going to go on in the coming months with Marvel supposedly changing their universe or doing another thing that's going to, you know, change the Marvel universe forever. When time runs out. Time is running out, Steve. Time time is running out. But I also have it that something's going to be going down at New York City Comic Con that they're holding a special panel that's only for retailers. Mm-hmm. Sneaking suspicion is that Marvel is going to announce something pretty huge to all the retailers mm-hmm. to kind of prepare them for what's gonna what's to come. If only we had somebody from the website that was going to be at that. If only. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just... Inhuman is, you know, we use the terms, I use the terms a lot, world building. This is as world building as it gets. Charles Soule, uh, along with his art team and the fantastic editors and everybody that's putting the Inhuman book together, it's really, really solid stuff. And I urge you guys, if you're even curious about it at all, to definitely seek out the issues and check it out. It doesn't stop. It's every issue has been awesome and it builds, you know, character upon character we're meeting all of these new characters all these new people with all these new abilities and just watching from you know a ground level how the Terrigen Mist leaking out all into the city how that's affecting everybody it's something that's kind of been you know pushed back with the death of Wolverine and all these other you know original sin and 
all these other bigger things, this story is still happening and it's awesome. So wow. Inhuman, Charles Soul, uh, Marvel Comics, it's check it out. It's awesome. I see. I rarely buy books just because of the artist, mm-hmm. but I was buying Inhuman. I liked the story, didn't love it. I thought it was solid um, and fun, but I was... it. it if it wasn't for the Maduro art, I wasn't going to be buying it. And then he lasted three issues and now he's gone. Yeah. And that's the reason for the delays. He's notorious for being slow yeah. with his art. Uh, I'm sure Charles Soule has, you know, like eight scripts done or something, you know, yeah. or more than that. Uh, and Stegman should help with that because Stegman is, is, is not an artist known for being slow. And Stegman is a great artist. I love Ryan Stegman's work. But once Maduro was done with the book, I, I was done with the book. It was like the reason why I was buying it. I just loved the way it looked so much. Did you read it though? Yeah, I read the first three issues and I liked them, but I didn't love them. You know, I loved the way they looked mm-hmm. and that, and so I was into that. There's this one shot, I don't know if it's issue two or issue three, when Captain America is going yeah. over to see Medusa. Yeah. There's like this shot of him on the on like a boat when he's going over there and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is, un- like I wanted it as a poster. You know, wow. that's how good it was. Uh, and, and that's why I was going to, you know, I love, I love the way his stuff looks and, um, and it's not doing it anymore, so it, I, I don't really have that fire to pick it up. Well, now it's so far under the radar now. Can yeah. it be reclaimed? Well, I mean, maybe what we're doing here can mm. help, but it, I'm yeah. hoping that it's not as lost as I'm making it out to be. I mean, I can only judge by my circle of influence, right? Mm. So I have no idea what on a mass scale, you know, mm. whether or not people are into this. I mean, there could be, we could have hundreds of listeners mm. that are like, dude, I'm, you mm. know. I'm right there with you. Or, you know, I fucking hate that book, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, I just, I I get excited by the idea of the whole thing, the whole reason that we started this was because we jumped onto the DC New 52 because it was new and it was a jumping on Mm. point for the podcast and stuff like that. I like the idea of being, like for me, being on the ground level of something that feels really huge. Maybe it's not marketed as big as it was supposed to be a couple months back when it was you couldn't get away from the word inhuman and now it's kind of fallen into the shadows i just want people to know that it's good Mm -hmm. or i think it's good right and that if you want if you were curious about it or you want to check it out or you've been collecting it and waiting to read it pick it up and read it because it's it's solid stuff Mm. I, i mean if this is the direction that marvel is heading this is the ground floor that they're like, this is the foundation that they're Mm going to be building from is this inhuman stuff. If the whole, you know, getting rid of mutants and Mm -hmm. going with the inhumans, this is where it's happening. So you kind of want to read this if you're going to be there, you know, if you want to see the makings of what's going to happen in the future, if that happens. Right. Absolutely. I am not a seer. I have no idea. It's not going to happen. They're not getting rid of mutants. No, (laughs) X-Men sell how many hundreds of thousands of yeah, copies yeah, a month? That, yeah. yeah. Might they drop some other things? Yeah, the X-Men... Uh, I still think they'll do it. I think that they're going to focus... For the movie stuff, they want to do it, but I don't, I, I, there's no way. It's, no. Their big, it's like their biggest property, yeah. it? so they're, they're not going to do it. Will it be changing titles? Will some disappear? Yeah. Will this come up? Yeah, but are mm. they going to publish Uncanny and X-Men? And, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Forever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> it's like, stop. Until time runs out. Which is soon. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that shot of Cap it was was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. He's channeling Washington crossing the Delaware. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. Just, it's yeah. just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a there's like there's a moment in the series where Medusa takes this like, this gigantic. It's not even a helicopter. It's like almost like a spacecraft. All these Gatlin guns and all this crazy stuff, 
and Cap's like, there's no way that we can get, you know, this is huge. We, we have to back away. And she just takes her hair, wraps it around like a couple of the, um, like the, the stepping uh, bars or whatever to get up into the thing. And just whips it right out of the sky and smashes yeah. it into the ground and explodes. And I just like, yeah, mm-hmm. it was awesome. Oh, Medusa as a villain early on was pretty bad. I mm-hmm. mean, she did some some really cool stuff. And she had a good run as part of the Fantastic Four years back when Reed and Sue were separated for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. She filled in in her own little outfit with a little <laughs> four on it. And big part of the team then. She's been missing for so long, basically, or just yeah. in and out of... yeah books that never had a good run so this may yeah. be the one i don't know i think it's fun i I love meeting all of these new characters and having all of these you know the terrigen mist creating all of these new heroes mm-hmm. or villains or or people that are in between mm-hmm. all right so inhuman yeah. one through five and pop right yep number one from dark horse comics all right bob what do you got for us okay i'm gonna start with a book that came out the month of the new 52 <laughs> but that isn't it's the old 52 it's dc comics presents the metal men 100 page spectacular from september of 2011 now what this does it reprints the backup features that were doom patrol in doom patrol one to seven which is by keith giffen who's the writer here with jmd mateus and kevin mcguire but where it starts it also starts with a story from mark wade created a series for dc in 2000 of silver age they, they sort of retro storylines and felix faust the, the evil magician had mm-hmm. turned all the heroes and villains around switched their bodies and all and so wade of course just loves that sort of stuff and he oversaw this whole series the first story here it's a brave and the bold crossover so it's batman and the metalman only the batman isn't the batman he's the penguin <laughs> what? And the Penguin is trying to capture Felix Faust and Catwoman, who are actually Green Arrow and the Black Canary. <laughs> you lost me. And it's Bob Haney who wrote Metamorpho for uh, DC back in the day. And it's just fun, fun Maguire art and the metalmen make mm. tanks. And they just they sort of think Batman's acting weird. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty smart robots. But it's just a heck of a lot of fun watching the interplay. At one point, Green Arrow is trying to figure out how to do this magic stuff. So he gets the book and starts doing stuff. And what he does, instead of changing it back, he changes the metal men into human beings, <laughs> which doesn't really work because then they don't have any superpowers, but it is, it is an interesting image when you see, you know, sort of the, the super strong robot lead looking like a fat guy who delivers pizza. <laughs> uh, but things work themselves out. And there was, there was a mini series in between by Duncan Rollo. It was okay. They kind of ignored that here. Giffen likes weirdness. So Mm -hmm. if you're a fan of what they did with Justice League International or what he's doing now, I think, with 3000, you just pick up right here Doc Magnus, Dr. Will Magnus, who who created them back in Showcase 37, all those years and years ago when I was a little boy and fell in Mm -hmm. love with these characters, has gotten a lot of acclaim for being the world's greatest robotic scientist, and he's been in 52 and all these things, had big roles later. Here... He just decides he needs to take things a little easier. So he moves the middleman out to the suburbs of, you know, Glenview, Illinois. And it's about fitting in with the neighbors who aren't thrilled. Mr. Forklift, who lives next door, is not happy with these robots. <laughs> are, are they environmentally sound? You're probably destroying the ecosystem. What are you people doing with these robots? And, well, they're out there mowing your lawn. So there's a shot of the robots. Instead of forming a tank, they're forming a lawnmower. And <laughs> they're mowing the neighbor's lawn. <laughs> in the midst of this, there's a... He, he, the character is now back, Magnus Robot Fighter, mm-hmm. 
Well, here there's a TV show called Douglas Robot Fighter, Robot Hunter. And of course, Mercury is a big fan <laughs> and his show gets canceled. The, the, your ratings are terrible. Your demographics are awful. On his way out of the studio, he bumps into something, gets an electric shock and thinks he's the robot hunter. So he takes the house next door and wants to kill all the robots <laughs> because, well, that's what you do. And so we actually, he has a large encounter with a new character who was actually created for Batman, Superman 34 to 36, uselessly, she didn't get to do much. It's copper. So we have platinum, ah, been clever. around a long time, but we have copper. And because she was created by somebody else than Robert Kaniger back in the day who created these characters, Giffen has the other metal men never remembering who she is. Mm. So she goes on a mission and she does really great stuff. She stops giant robots and they're, who are you exactly? <laughs> I don't remember who you are. So she decides she'll do the right thing by going next door and talking to the neighbor who's actually the robot hunter guy who's now hiding behind the blinds because he's kidnapped the lady who lives in the house because he wants to kill the robots. It's just a laugh riot. This whole thing all the way through. I mean, uh, robotic mannequins created by another character who thinks he's better than Doc. On and on and on, there's a, there's a sort of surprise ending. We get stuff and houses blowing <laughs> up and the neighbors not liking things. If you're a fan of Giffen's work and McGuire's work, if you love those old Justice League internationals, pick this up. It, it was like eight bucks when it came out. I'm, I paid eight fifty, <laughs> but you know, what the heck? I wanted to have it because even though I had the other ones, having them all in a nice shiny square bound cover was nice. It's online. I'm sure it's on the comicsology things because this is this is hard to find. Hmm. It really and truly is. It's fun. It and sounds should be more fun, like wacky beyond it's wacky. comprehension. Well, look, it's, it's robots that can form things and be okay. But at the beginning, you were talking about the penguin being Batman. Yeah, you were talking yes. about the, they switch the they switch bodies. Yeah. Oh my Dr. god. Dr. Uh, Felix Faust switches yeah. their bodies. So it's the penguin running around like Batman. Like Batman. Mm. Oh my god. Only talking like the penguin. <laughs> no, and, oh. and, and acting all weak and everything, and <laughs> hitting up on <laughs> Tina, and and there's here's we have a shot here of the of Catwoman and Felix Faust. Only it's not. Oh my god, that's fantastic! Yeah. So that's that's the first one. That's really cool. Yeah, there we go. Can I say that the Magnus Robot Fighter? It's such like a particular skill set. Like he just fights robots. Well, it's set. It was Russ Manning did this back in '63 <laughs> for Gold Key, back, mm-hmm. and, and it's passed through a lot of hands now. Right, Dyn- dynamite, dynamite has dynamite it now. Now, Yeah, the, the one Gold Key one. They, the yeah, they, they, they're they doing. They're doing a bunch of well, because no, because Dynamite's doing uh, Doctor Specter. They're doing Magnus Robot Fighter. They're doing a couple. They have but, a couple. So who has Solar? That, dynamite. Okay. Yeah, well, Dynamite has, a lot, dynamite has okay. a lot of the Gold Key characters now. I think. Okay. Yeah. It was set in the future where the robots had taken over. Oh, uh, okay. Makes more sense. So he was running around <laughs> fighting robots. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Makes more sense yeah. now. Yeah. It was, I don't know where he's set now. I don't know either. There, there, there was a cover they put out that it's just him like, it's like a factory of robots and he's like he's like on a like on a catwalk with his fist up. But was, that was every cover of the old book. <laughs> now here, the, the character of Douglas, Robot Hunter, is dressed exactly the same way, sort mm-hmm. of this one piece 1890s man swimsuit mm-hmm. wearing sort of white go-go boots for no particularly good reason <laughs> because it was 1963. <laughs> Covers were great. Interiors were great. Stories got really repetitive and boring. <laughs> but Douglas is very funny in here. So I'm going to fight some more robots. Got to fight some more robots. And my other book of the week is it's part of the Future's End, which comes with a lovely little like 3D woo cover. Oh, I got my 2D cover. 
you got the 2D. I, on purpose, because uh, Rob had those, and I was like, I don't want these. <laughs> I, it was like, I can't stand the way they I, feel. I it freaks me out the way they it's feel. It's like touching a balloon. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a high step. <laughs> I had no choice. This is what was left when mm-hmm. I got to the store. So you, mm-hmm. want, you want this one? Well, I'd rather have the other one, because mm-hmm. it's a dollar less, first of all. Well, I don't have any other ones, so <laughs> get used to it. <laughs> But it's a nice cover. It's a nice cover. But yeah, what, yeah. what really, it, it, the cover is by Clay Mann with Romulo Fajardo. All right. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's Batgirl Futures End number one, Gail Simone and Javier Garon. <laughs> uh, close. I've, I've mixed now Spanish and French together. Garon. Now, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Sorry to all accent. you French Canadians. Yes, I don't do accents well. Anyway, now... The conceit of all these books is that it's five years in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, this one doesn't do that. This this starts two years out at the wedding of Barbara Gordon and a moment that will spell the end of her Batgirl identity. <gasps> Forever. I, mm-hmm. Well. No, I'm kidding. You know, then we then jump ahead three years and a group of really bad guys is being rousted by the League of Batgirls, mm-hmm. which is... It's just lovely to say we discover they're being directed by Barbara in sort of the Oracle way, where she is now the mentor to these young heroes. And how spoilery should I be here? I mean, what, what, what's well, who they are? And oh well, I mean, it's a really cool thing. I mean, it might be, it might make people pick up the book. Who then? Let's uh, do that. Because yeah. what we have are three Batgirls. One is Stephanie Brown. One's Cassandra Kane, and one is based on a young woman who cosplays. Mm. as Batgirl. Oh, that's, seriously? That's, on, yeah, that's, that's who that is? Yeah, yeah, that's been on Gail's site. Oh, that's great. It's, but it, in the in the story, it's Lucius she, Fox's right, daughter, I right. think. But yeah, her yeah. look is based completely or, or on... Or granddaughter, this, I don't know. What, oh, yeah, and she's amazing. much younger because yeah, she's like 12 younger. years old. Yeah, here, yeah. But that's who, she, uh, to me, she's definitely based on. Yeah, I did not know that. That's fantastic. I just meant like in the, in the actual story, she's a, she is in like Batman universe character. She has ties to other people yeah. in Batman universe. Yeah. So it's just really amazing in that... Barbara Gordon in the New 52 has had a lot of dark things happen. Yeah. Quite a few. And it starts here. It's even darker than usual. Mm-hmm. It, it's in a very, very bad place. But because of who she is, I don't want to spoil too much about there's a villain in the story mm-hmm. that will be very familiar. Barbara needs, it's sort of like a video game. She has to get to that big boss to mm-hmm. get to do what she needs to do. So much humanity and heroism, the interaction between these female characters where it's definitely that sort of birds of prey vibe again. It, it's everything that's been in Gail's book, books with Barbara from the birds of prey days from 10 years ago. And we get a, a coda after the finale, in essence, that is one of those moments that I, big smile and tears at the same time. If, if you were mm-hmm. waiting for Gail Simone's run to come to an end, the last issue was fun. This wraps a nice little bow on it for mm-hmm. me. I agree. I agree. I thought it was wonderful. I really, uh, I was, I'm sad. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm i satisfied, but I'm sad. Yes. I, I would love to have, I, she's going to be doing Secret Sex, yes. which is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. I've only read the first trade, but oh man, was it fun. The idea of her going back to those characters and just being able to resurrect them and do all kinds of crazy things uh, with them, I think she's going to have a lot of fun with it. But the Batgirl run even with its ups and downs and her being taken off the book and then putting back on she soldiered through all of that stuff and still managed to come out with a top quality book all around yeah no to me you read 
Bobby, yeah, I read it. Think? I read it. I, I think it was good. You know, I I have an issue with this the the the, the five years later stuff in general as a story device because to mm-hmm. me, it feels like a cheat. You know, it feels like in Heroes when they'd be like, "This is the future," unless you change it. it. Like that's what this feels like to me, right? And that's fine. Like I mean, five years in actual in comic book time is who knows how many years in, in our actual time. Mm-hmm. This could be stories that they supposedly write fifteen years from now or whatever would happen. So that stuff is a little bit, uh, a little bit dicey to me. I do like that she did this. I like this is her last issue. I like that she did this issue because a lot of the creative teams aren't doing these. Um, although the story was good, I love seeing these new Batgirls. But much like the Batman issue that came out, it doesn't feel to me like five years. It feels to me like fifteen years after. It, you know, this doesn't feel like this. This it could be this much in in mm-hmm. five years. Uh, but what I will say, you know, she had to work in that conceit. It, that's what they were doing. Yeah. It didn't matter. So barring that, uh, I love. You know, there is that reveal at the end about wh- what she was doing and how she accomplished it, and I I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. I thought that was. I didn't expect it. I didn't see it coming. No. And when it and it was interesting because it was a note that I felt was false throughout the whole issue. And so when it gets hit and it gets turned around, I was very happy about that. Uh, I I like that Oracle nature of it. I like this idea of her. You know, we, we talked about many times about Batgirl doesn't have the Batman origin. She doesn't have the pain. She she does it because she feels a sense of responsibility. Here she kind of gets that pain and then goes on sort of like a Batman, mm-hmm. a Bruce Wayne pilgrimage. To, to be better and be more ruthless. And we get to see that happen. And I thought that was really cool as well. Um, I think it's nice, you know, whether it's just like a, this is going to, this can might never happen, but it was nice to have Cassandra and Stephanie Brown yeah. uh, back just to show as a nod to the other people who have had that mantle that they exist and that they're vital parts. And I, uh, you know, I think that the book is still very much Barbara's, but if you, if you love those two characters, especially if you love Stephanie Brown, cause she's kind of the one who has the, the main focus other than, Bar- yeah. other than Barbara, I think you'll enjoy this issue. Yeah. Well, you ended the last issue of the last three issues actually with the birds of prey in one form or another in the other ones. And here lo- finishing up this way, just so mm-hmm. sweet. Now, as much as I'm looking forward as you were talking about sadness, as much mm-hmm. as I'm looking forward to the new Batgirl, we all are. I've always said, you know, that came at a cost. We lost mm. this version for a while. We mm. don't know what's going to happen. But the, the good thing is the other books are here. And despite the gaps caused by various events mm. and firings and <laughs> so on and so forth, we had the couple of annuals, mm-hmm. you know, right. where you had the, the best Poison Ivy story ever, the best Catwoman story probably in mm. the new 52. Yeah. The whole Batgirl Wanted thing was really well done if you could read them without having it chopped apart. Yeah, yeah. Just read them now and you'll be fine. Right. You yeah. read them in a lump. And now That's how get, I read them and yeah. that was fine. Yeah. Yeah. And even Gothopia, mm-hmm. which could have been a disaster. Yeah. yeah. So altogether, it was a really great run for 34 issues. And some year, five years down the road, there'll be a trade paperback collection of all yes. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it, it, It's a momentous occasion for a lot of reasons. I mean, this is, a, this is her, at least for now and probably for good, it, ending writing a character that she's been writing for decade decade now yeah that's huge that's a huge ending and i think that people who know gail simone and um know this book are, are feeling that I, I do feel like there isn't hasn't been really much kind of press made about it you know yeah. a lot of pr put out there about this is the end of 
a giant run. You know, when Jeff Johns finishes Green Lantern run, they got that. They know, there, was, there was that huge like hundred page issue that they put out, stuff like that. And look, it's a little bit different situation. I mean, obviously, it's a broken up run. It's not like she hasn't been writing a book called Batgirl for ten years. She's been right. writing Barbara, Barbara Gordon, Gordon in one way or another for ten years. But it's monumental for her to be moving on from a character that she is. She, she helped shape and then reshape and then shape again. So, I, I part of me wishes that her last issue could have come in not part An of event. event that it could have just been like here's a, a, a extra size issue whether it's five more pages yes. whatever that's like this is the end where she could have kind of tied everything together but in the other hand like sh- in this kind of universe all that stuff didn't didn't happen so there's not a lot of can we celebrate the birds of prey since they're not here exactly yeah. or or her oracle, oracle time right. i mean that's that was there but we don't know how long it was what it was in kind of this new 52 world hmm. so you, you can't really do that i mean um I mean, Jeff Johns basically ignored the new 52 for yeah. his purposes, and he was very vocal about not not liking it. So uh, he he just did that, you know. And, and I think when you're the guy who runs the company, <laughs> the company you, you can do, do that. Uh, I wish that Gail got a little bit more heft to the, to the end, but you know, maybe that's not something that she even wants to do. You know, she sure. finished her run on the book, she hands it off, and now she goes and does her own thing without taking away from the people who are coming next. Could you imagine if the new creators on these books had to adhere to the Future's End issues that <laughs> yeah. within five years' time, like, you can write what you want, but, but it has to end here because it's the Future's End. At issue 96. I'm just saying, like, with the new Batgirl coming out, and I, I've I've heard again and again about how they're gonna you know they're gonna keep elements of Gail's run and they're mm-hmm. gonna continue threads and stuff like that. From what I've seen of it, art wise, it doesn't look like it's going like that. Like the darkness is going to transfer over. No, it's not. No. They've already said they've said that's not going. That's right. not coming. Yeah. But how do you go? How do you then put like a new slab of paint on this character and on this book? And then you have something so so. I mean, wonderful, but ultimately so, grim. And you know, she she does some pretty extreme stuff in this to get to her end. Mm-hmm. She basically si- saddles up with someone who mm-hmm. you wouldn't expect. And uh, I just don't know how you would get there. You won't get there. I mean, the, the, yeah. you're never going to see these stories flushed out. It's never going to happen. Uh, th- these are it's just, an else world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never going to happen. Oh. Never ever going to happen. Well, I'm happy to have been there for the for the whole Batgirl run that we you know we started this when that began mm-hmm. and watched it go through all of the changes. I mean, it's one of those one of those runs that is it's remained the same writer for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, for yeah. the past. It's going to be yeah. three years. Three years. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. A couple of Ray Fox issues, a couple of Marguerite Bennett mm-hmm. fill-ins that were good, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. yeah. But uh, this was the only, as long as we're going waxing rhapsodic, as they say. Wax away. This was the only New 52 book I was buying mm-hmm. because they canceled Power Girl and Zatanna and Justice Society and all the things I was reading. And I wouldn't have picked this up either because I was, I'm still not particularly, I, look, I love Batgirl. Mm-hmm. I like Oracle better. I think it's just it's just a, it was a very unique character, and the change. I was one of those people rankled by it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, and and certainly for other people who took her as a role model and that all too, but just dramatically speaking, it was such a different character that went to so many other places. That Gail Simone, who had written that Barbara Gordon, was going. I'll do it. I'll make sure you don't foul up Barbara. I, she didn't really want to do it, but she did it and did a spectacular job for three years. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. So kudos to Miss Gail Simone. 
All right. So Batgirl Features End, number one, and Metal Men, 100-page spectacular. Yes. All right. So I'll go on to, uh, to my books of the week. Um, I believe uh, Nikki Alfaro was talking about this book last week when she, on, on, her, on, mm-hmm. her, on her bit on, on the show. Yes. Uh, Stumptown uh, came back. It's a Greg Rucka series. Um, this is art by uh, illustrated by Justin Greenwood, colored by Ryan Hill, and lettered by Crank. Um, so I've never read any of some town and I had asked last week if there's something that you could pick up and she had said each sort of volume is a, is a case from oh. this, de- this detective. And so, yeah, it should be something you can pick up and read without having read the p- past stuff. So it's Greg Rucka. I figured, all right, let me pick this up and, and check this out. Um, it's a story of a detective. Her name is Dex. And I will say that it wasn't what I expected in that. I expected kind of to be like, here's a crime that happens she shows up as a police officer and then you, you go on from there, you know, sort of like the classic sort of, um, law and order type of, uh, of procedural. Yeah. The procedural. Exactly. And instead we're kind of thrown right into it with Dex and sort of who she is and her life and her family and her interests. Um, she's, and it's so funny because if you follow Greg Rucka on Twitter during the World Cup, he was like super, super into it. <laughs> and, and you can see it right away because soccer is a huge oh. theme throughout this entire thing. So it starts out with them playing what seems like a you know like a police league game. Uh, and then they go to a, a – it's set in Portland. They go to a Portland Timbers versus Seattle Sounders match. And um, one of the really cool things in the design of the book is when they're at this stadium, you know, it's thunderously loud – it is shown when these giant lettered, you know, chants and stuff that are going on so much so that it, it you know, it overpowers the, what they're actually saying, which was what it would feel like if you're at the actual hmm. match. Um, and, you know, uh, it's now Dex has what it seems like a mentally challenged uh, brother that she takes care of. Mm-hmm. And there's a man at the, at the, the game that's very, very nice to him. And, uh, we'll figure in heavily into what happens later, which is when we finally get the crime uh, that happens and that, that, that they discover and it's a murder and we're kind of off to the races on there. Like I said, it wasn't what I expected. I was expecting first issue. We jump right in and we're already kind of going on what this mystery is, what's happening. And look, this could be what all the Stumptown volumes are like. I haven't read them, so I don't know. Um, you know, but what it does do is I think that, I feel like if they had gone that other route, route I was expecting, I would have been more invested in the nature of the crime and the things that were happening. Whereas in this, I am because of the way he introduces her and the way he deals with her and the way you see the way she deals with people and interpersonal relationships. I now have a vested interest in the character first, even though not much really happens in this issue, except for that kind of character building stuff. So as someone who has never read Stumptown, I, I think it was the right way to go because now, yeah, there's a mystery, but now it's personal to her, and I want to see how she's going to react to it and what she's going to do with it. So I really, really enjoyed it. I think I don't know how much it's going to be a, a mystery story if we're really going to get into the nitty of who done it nature of it. I don't know. Um, if that's the case, it'll be an added bonus. But if it's just kind of the story of this woman dealing with th- this situation, I think that'll be great too. So uh, some town number one, Greg Rucka, Justin Greenwood. Is that where the crime takes place? Is in Stumptown? Yeah, Stumptown is a, is a name for Portland. Okay. It's not even for Portland. I always thought for the longest time that Stumptown was a kind of like a music-related comic book. No. Kind of like the New York Five gotcha. kind of deal. <laughs> I always 
So no, huh? No, it's a crime no. uh, series. It takes place in Portland. <laughs> Sounds really cool. I, I really liked uh, when you were pointing out the stuff about the art, uh, how like the, the chanting and the cheering mm-hmm. from no. like the big letters overpowering the conversations, because that's exactly what it's like when you're at one of those games. My, my sister uh, teaches a lot of twirling and it's always, you know, giant raucous right, crowds yeah. with, you know, tiny conversations happening in between and stuff like that. So uh, from an art perspective, that's a really cool way to to deal with that. Yeah, and the Justin Greenwood art is, is great. I know that um, he's apparently, it's a different artist. There was a different artist on the other volumes. This is, I think this is his first issue working on the book. Um, so I don't know how to compare it um, aesthetically to, to the other volumes. But jumping on here and reading this, I, I it, it looks great. Uh, it's written very well. And if you're a fan of Greg Rucka, um books and Greg Rucka, you know, female-led crime books then this is a book that you're gonna love uh i i think absolutely do you know how many is it is it like a i don't or? it's i don't you know i don't know and it does it in volumes i don't know if it's, they set out with a number in mind mm-hmm. like they don't it doesn't say one of something on here obviously it doesn't mean that it's not one of something mm-hmm. uh but I, I think that um i don't know if they set out to have numbers but i think once they complete a volume it, it goes like you know it not resets itself, but goes back to a, a different case and, and stuff like that. Cool. Uh, so they are self-contained. I have the first volume, I believe, on my iPad. I got it in a Comicsology sale a couple months back, so definitely want to check that out. Uh, my other book, I didn't even know this book was coming out, which is really funny because it's by Grant Morrison. When it hit oh. the stands and you hadn't said anything about it previously, I went, oh, it's a Bobby book. Yeah, yeah. So I went to the shop uh, on Thursday, uh, and um, I went in there, and I was like looking through the books, and I was like, what the hell is this? Uh, <laughs> it's a book called Annihilator. Uh, it's written by Grant Morrison with art uh, by uh, Frazier Irving. Uh, Jared K. Fletcher is a letterer. Uh, and John J. Hill does the uh, book and logo design. And it is published by Legendary Comics. So the mm. movie... I was going to say, it's a film studio. company. Yeah. yeah. Apparently they're getting the comics. It's a preview for an- another, sh- another book coming out. And... Like I said, I did not know it was coming out, uh, but when I saw it, obviously I was I was going to buy it. Uh, Fraser Irving, we ta- I talked about him when I was talking about Seven Soldiers of Victory. Did the Clarion art? He's done some issues of um, Uncanny X Men, the uh, the magic issues when they're kind of in, in the hell dimension and stuff like that. Uh, really, you know, it's intense, scary art that uh is sometimes very very intimidating to, to work mm. and gives gives me chills at, at times. But what Annihilator is about is. There's a screenwriter, and he uh, has had two really, really successful movies, like two huge hits. And he is trying to. It's been years, and he's trying to work on this next movie. And it's you know supposed it's supposed to be this uh, like dystopian science fiction story. That's what the the studio wants, and and he 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 can't find inspiration. So he moves into this house where like all of this horrible, horrible stuff has happened. Naturally. Because he wants to be around something that's going to inspire him to write this kind of horrible stuff he has to write. And it seems like this, it, it's things like on a hell mouth, basically. All this insane bad stuff has happened there. You know, there's been devil worship there. There's been all this stuff. And he's a, a, a drug addict, alcoholic uh, guy. And when he gets into those modes, the story, and it feels sort of like if Charlie Kaufman wrote like a horror story or an intense science fiction horror story, because the time, the time jumps, you know, uh, we, we go from him saying like, Oh, you know, I, I can't write anymore. You know, I, I, 
you know, and he, he thinks about a hooker, and then all of a sudden there's like 15 hookers there, and they're they're in the middle of like some sort of like weird, like devil worship <laughs> sex party or something like that. Like it just goes like that, and all the while as well, we're cutting between uh, this science fiction story with this lead character who is on the run from the authority because he's done something horrible. And he's basically in the city on the edge of a black hole, and he and the 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 character is mirroring our our writer character, which is that he's gonna stay in this this city at the edge of a black hole that no one can stay in because they, they go everyone goes crazy who 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 stays there, um, and you find out that this is like the story that a screenwriter is writing he, that he's trying to write, mm-hmm. and he's going through the pressure of trying to figure out what the story is. He's getting beat by his agent, and then you learn. <laughs> that it's crazy. The screener has a brain tumor. He f- deserves. He has a brain tumor, and after that, it's tough to know what's real and what's not real. Ah, uh, I love it. So something happens where kind of the two worlds that we're telling it collide, and you're not really sure if they're actually colliding or this is just the brain tumor like flaring up and making this writer believe things that he has created. All that happens in this one book? issue. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all in now, issue one. Okay, so I, I'll wait till you're done and I'll ask yeah. you a question. No, go ahead. You can ask me a question now. Okay. Now, Grant Morrison is notorious for when when a book of his... Well, in my... Okay, I'll rephrase. With my experience of Grant Morrison stuff, I've read his first issues and have not had a clue that happened with... What was that? The Blue Rose... That's Warren Ellis. I'm sorry. That's Warren, Warren Ellis. Ellis. Yeah, Warren yeah. Ellis. I get <laughs> the I, I, I get the two of them confused sometimes. <laughs> um, how does how does this stack up to some of of Morrison's other work as far as like a like a starter? It's interesting. It's a really good starter. You know, um, it's definitely in weird and intense, but I was never really confused about it because the two worlds are so different that when you cut in between them you're never confused about where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of time jumpy stuff is a little bit confusing, but if, if you think about it, like it's, you know, um, a drug trip or if it's someone who's kind of blacking out cause, cause they're mm-hmm. drunk. Um, it, it works a lot better. And if you're used to like, you know, certain movies, like if you're used to, it has a little bit of David Lynch ness to it in, in that way where it's definitely showing you things that are just because it's supposed to make your brain feel the dissonance of what you're seeing as to opposed to what you expect mm-hmm. to see. Um, and the sci-fi stuff has a lot of kind of like that the Danny Boyle like sunshine feel to it in, yeah. in some ways. Um, it was it was great, and I mean it it feels different in a way because it's not. I'm used to mostly Grant Morrison's you know big two work, right? Where his goal is to play off of your expectations of who these characters are and what they're going to do, and to take the stuff that you think you can ignore until you know you can't ignore it. It's it happened, and we're gonna make it part of the story. This is something wholly original and different, so it, it, he's not playing off that. He's just telling you a story, and it's a high-wire act, but I felt like if you like science fiction, you like horror, mm-hmm. and you lo- and I love stories that are about making stories, right. you know? So mm-hmm. if, you, if you really like those type of intersections, I think it's, it, it's a great book. Now, I, have, I, I don't think it has a... I'm sure it is a miniseries. I'm sure it's not an ongoing, but uh, it doesn't have a one of whatever count. God, that's art, and, and I don't know how long it's going to go. But the art is gorgeous and terrifying. <laughs> the writing is dense and, and really interesting, and I, I think that it surprised the hell out of me. 
Um, but I cannot wait to see what comes next. What's the price tag on that book? Three ninety nine. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty. That's a gorgeous and what looks like a hefty. It is book. Are there any ads? I don't see any. There are no ads. No. Ah, the, the, see, that's how it's done. <laughs> the the back the last couple like four or five pages is a preview of another book they're doing. Okay. Uh, called Apocalypse. Not Apocalypse. Apocalypse. But yeah. It, Annihilator, number one, by Grant Morrison, with art by Fraser Irvin. Oh. I am going to have to get that. It's pretty awesome. And the cover is pretty badass <laughs> as well. Um, it's like a science fiction beetle with gauntlets. It's like a, a Destiny character. <laughs> it does look like a Destiny character. <laughs> so that's it. So that's it for our books of the week. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come right back and talk about death in comics. talking about death in comics so we spoke about it during lightning round but obviously death of wolverine is is going on right now uh and we've obviously joked a lot that he's one of marvel's top two characters he's not going to be gone forever he's coming back and i think in a lot of ways at this point whenever we talk about these situations at least with the superhero side of things that's always the kind of the tenor that we Mm -hmm. take with it with any of the major characters that because of what's happened in the precedence before, that if a character is going to be dying, it's really just a plot point that's going to happen, and they'll be back. Uh, so, there's cynicism built into the oh, equation yeah, before we even start. Definitely. So, you know, I want to talk about a little about it, and just talk about what we feel about the death in, in the big two comics. You know, death in comics in general. How, what are some of in the farther past, some of the ones we thought worked very well, <laughs> and in the Warriors Pat, maybe just talk about the series that had situations where we felt like they were very effective, um, and without spoiling anything big time, and just in the general sense, like what what can we do? What could they do to make it better if if we don't feel like it's something that's effective? So, you know, Bob, obviously you've been reading comics the longest. You've seen this stuff come and go. You saw kind of the 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 one that's kind of defined it in the last 20 plus years which is the death death of superman which kind of led to a lot of the stuff that we're talking about right now um what has your experience been kind of with death in in comics here's the thing that death of superman in the midst of the speculator era was what put everything into the perspective you're talking about where we are now where oh, it's on the news. It's a slow news day, so Superman's dying, or Captain America's dying, or I'm sure when we get to Wolverine, that'll be on lead the CNN news if nothing else has gone on that day. It'll be in the newspaper. Death as, as a trope in, in heroic fiction, I guess, goes back to Arthur Conan Doyle being bored with Sherlock Holmes and killing him, having him, mm-hmm. he and Professor Moriarty go sailing off the Reichenbach Falls, and then... People screamed and yelled so much that even in 1901 or whatever, he had to bring back Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> he did not want to write it anymore, and he brought him back for Hound of the Baskervilles and wrote, I think, 15 or 16 more short stories in another novel. In the 60s, Stan particularly, DC characters died a lot in the 50s, but every one of them was an imaginary story. Robin dies at dawn, and that was one of my favorite stories as a kid. Batman 
basically holding Robin on the cover. He's on an alien planet, sort of the cover of Crisis 7, mm-hmm. Superman and Supergirl. That's the same sort of pose. Battered Robin, alien landscape. And I'm not going to spoil this story for anybody. Should go over and read it. It's, it's, it's around. It's, I forget what issue of Detective that was. Uh, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. But the first time I remember encountering a death, not like the metalman being blown up and put back together the next issue or something like that, Avengers 4, and it's the return of Captain America, but the first story he relates is the death of his partner, who I knew nothing about. I had no idea who Bucky Barnes was. But it affected this character who within pages I was loving, and it was, wow. And as issue after issue went by, you saw that playing itself out. And really quickly in that, there was a, the character's been used a lot since. He's come back, but he was dead for a long time. It's Wonder Man. Simon Williams, that eventually it's his brain patterns that are in the vision and he's his brother kind of and the Grim Reaper is always trying to kill the vision because, well, you stole my brother. He's a character introduced in an issue. He's a a failed inventor who Tony Stark has put out of business. Baron Zemo recruits him, turns him into a superhero to infiltrate the Avengers and destroy them. Spoiler alert, well, he dies because we're talking about death. He changes his mind and becomes a hero. And the last couple of pages, it mattered that this character had this this flip and it was affecting. He didn't come back this year. He came back 12 years later or something. Mm-hmm. It it was He was dead and stayed dead. When Captain Stacy died, he was dead. Stan always said that, look, Bucky Barnes and Uncle Ben are dead. <laughs> and they'll always be dead and you needn't worry about it. The big, honestly, the biggest death in that period is honestly... It's, Gwen Stacy, mm-hmm. which happened apparently when Stan was in California trying to make movies. You know, <laughs> Jerry Conway and those guys, they say they asked them and he doesn't remember that, which could be he just doesn't remember or, well, yeah, I'll go ahead. Not thinking they meant it. But that issue, boy, someone asked recently, what about 122? That's 121 where it happens in the last three pages and they didn't put the title of the book in the front and they tell you at the end, well, we couldn't have because it would have ruined everything. And it's Spider-Man sitting on top of the bridge with Gwen in his arms. And they matter because they seem permanent. Mm. When the doom patrol sacrificed themselves for, for a, a fishing village and said, well, we'll, we'll die. Mm. And then the book ended. The book was canceled. <laughs> that was it. Wow. Now because of Superman, because of myriad characters dying off screen and coming back, and one of those old movie serials where they, they the end of a chapter and they were fine next week. We're so inured to the process. Does can anything affect anyone anymore? What's the one now? I mean, we came through the seventies. You know, Thunderbird died. Uh, Guardian and Alpha Flight when mm. John Byrne killed him off. We've lost Captain Marvel, Phoenix. Mm. Those ones that matter. Now that Jean Grey is running around in three different versions, <laughs> that, that Claremont Burns story is still going to be great. Mm-hmm. But it means less when they're going to... Captain Marvel dying of cancer. Not a superhero battle. Mm. It's affecting stuff. But you, you, you keep reversing them. That's what really bugs me now. It's just so obvious it's we're selling books. Mm-hmm. It's not the storytelling reason. It's the monetary one. And I know it's a business. Right. But there's art involved. Right. Absolutely. Anyway, that's my rant. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, what are your general feelings? 
On death and comics? Yeah. Well, superhero stuff in general is more specifically right now because that's more kind of how the conversation's leaping off. Well, so, I mean, there's a, there's a big difference. At least there is for me. Um, I find that when I read independent books and uh, death is a factor, it is far more affecting for me than if it happens in, like, let's say the big two, you know, big superhero. Like the thing, the thing with Wolverine, we know that Wolverine's going to come back. He has to. It's just mm. the way of things. He will be back. I don't know when, mm-hmm. but they'll figure it out. There'll be some kind of loophole or just whatever. Just in time for the next movie, I'm thinking. Right, right. I will say, though, um, in the case of Wolverine, I am very much feeling the the event, the, the death of Wolverine, okay. the book that Charles Soule is writing. There is, I said this when I talked about number one, and it still holds with number two. There is an air about that series, about the the two issues that we've been given so far. There is like death is hanging in the air in that book. It's in the art. It's in the tone. It's in the events going on. It feels like the final hours or the final days. It's written that way. It feels that way. So in that regard, um, even though I'm being all like, you know, oh, he'll be back, blah, 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 it doesn't take away from the fact that I am feeling and will definitely feel a loss once he's out of the picture for however long. Because when I'm going back and I'm reading my Marvel books, he's everywhere. Mm. He's everywhere. We were saying, you know, uh, you know, you can't keep a good Wolverine down. Mm-hmm. He's in like, you know, nine different books and all of that. And yeah, he is. And he's a major player and he's a major factor. He's a part of the team. He's a leader. He's the leader of the school. Even if you pass it on to someone else, he's all over that thing. And I just, I don't want to, I don't want to take away. I, I, as a reader, I want to, you know, meet that head on and appreciate the character for, for all of the things that, that he's a part of and that he's not going to be there. Like we just watched him have an adventure with Ms. Marvel. Yeah. How is she going to re like the, the fallout of, of him passing away and, and you know, what's happening to him. What's going to happen when this new hero that's bounding around Jersey got, got to meet her own hero finds out that he's now dead. How is that going to play out for and her? I guarantee there'll be a lot of issues dealing with the fallout of yeah. what happens. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. With Wolverine variant covers. Yeah. I believe I already saw a cover today um, from Alex Garner for, for like, there was like Mystique was on the cover. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they're already, you know, ready mm. for that because it's a big thing. Yeah. Like when, when Professor Xavier bought it, I mean, you know, we got a whole series mm. based on that as well. So it's going to be no different with Wolverine, but I mean, like all the all the beer jokes and 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 all the all the stuff. I'm 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 going to miss it. Mm. But as far as how I feel about death in comics, uh, like I said, with something with some of the more independent titles that I read, when a character dies in those stories, there's a sense of permanence because you know either you know the story is 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 like that, and characters die. Or you know that it's only going to, let's say it's a mini, or it's, you know, one of eight. If a character bites the dust, chances are, unless they're going to be resurrected, and that's a major plot point, they die for real in the story, and you don't have that character anymore. Hopefully, the writer and artist and and the team has endeared you to them enough so that it matters. Mm. Um, Like, I think of, of, of a series that had death 
all throughout it, which was uh, Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth. Like Without spoiling any of the deaths, there were many throughout that series. And in the final issues of that book, that book crushed me. And you want to talk about death in comics and death actually like mattering to you as a reader, that series mattered. Mm. When, when things happened in that book, it mattered because not only did it affect me, but it affected all of the characters you know, throughout the whole story. That's when I think death is worth it in comics, and that's when it's felt the best and the most, at least for me. Um, but in the in the bigger stuff, I think because of the like kind of the the attitude of you know he'll be back, like Peter Parker with with Spider Man, you know you called it, you called it when it was going on. You're like he'll be back for when Amazing Spider Man two comes out. The very same week <laughs> was the debut of the Amazing Spider Man number one, yeah. and like clockwork, he was back. So. Is Wolverine, Wolverine's probably going to be gone. I'll say it right now. He'll be gone until X-Men Age of Apocalypse. Yeah. Wolverine will be back that week or Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit before. And, you know, they'll figure it out and and, and it'll go on. I think because people view the, or you can view the death simply as a vacation rather than something that you actually have to mourn the death of the character there's no sense of permanence mm. now because of because of the trend of, you know, killing them off and bringing them back. Like when Damian uh, Damian Wayne died, you know, the whole the whole fallout, like the fallout with that is how do we bring him back? Mm. How do we bring him back? And how do we have it be good and have it be something like a good story? You can't just have them pop up again. There needs to be something to it. Mm-hmm. So what's the journey going to be? from getting from A to B, from death to rebirth. Um, and I think that that is just as important as the death itself. Mm-hmm. You know, these vacations, as I call them, from like, you know, the bigger characters dying, it's still a really interesting journey. I don't think that it takes away having them die and, and bring them back, that it takes away from the character, because then you have, you know, how do we get them back? And what is the process between them passing away and them coming back? how is that world and universe going to be affected by like a death as large as Wolverine? It's going to be huge. Well, it's going to ripple through. And I think that you're right about that. I think that it's a, it's, it's a way Wolverine's in everything. Like we were saying, this is a way to extract him from everything kind of reset and, and put him back into the universe being fresh again. Uh, So I I think that probably is the reason why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And, for me, death in comics, and especially in superhero comics, it's an interesting thing, right? Because death is final, right? Comic books are eternal second act stories, right? They 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 strive to have many endings in, in their arcs, but in general, you're always in the second act of a story. Sure. Uh, we're a little bit different, right, with some of the new stuff, like Ms. Marvel right now, we're kind of in the first act of her story, which is part of the reason why I think we like it so much is because it feels different, right? We're not dealing with um, the middle of a character story. We're dealing with the beginning of a character story. Um, and I think that sometimes the great thing, and the reason why even the, even though these stories, we know that the characters are coming back, the reason something like Death of Wolverine is, is a good read is because it has a feeling of spooling up to something mm-hmm. that it's going to hit a point and it's just going to be over. Like there's not going to, there's nowhere to go at least right away from where it ends. So that I, I think is alluring to people, right? Because you get a ending, you get that, 
the emotional pathos you don't get in every issue because you're you have to keep going. You know, it's like a TV show. You have to keep going. You can't wrap up a character. You have to keep the character going. It's why the death of Spider Man in the Ultimate Universe mm-hmm. is, is so effective because you get to have kind of the final lap of Peter Parker there. All the people he's helped, all the people he's changed, all the things he's done right now become more emotional, more prescient because you're dealing with his ending. Yeah. And I think that in that sense, taken as individual stories, they, they can work, right? I think the Damian Wayne thing worked very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I always thought he would come back eventually. Uh, I, I don't know if this whole thing that we've been dealing with in the last year and a half is just a tease to him not being able to come back. Uh, but I think that the, the real issue for me is not that they come back, it's that they come back so quickly, right? I think Spider-Man was a different story because that was, they did like the weird, very sci-fi, like brain swapping thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a little bit more, it wasn't like, Spider-Man is going to die. You know, it was just kind of like, it, he did die in that book, but you know, it was more like some sort of crazier thing. Uh, and, and so mm-hmm. I, I like that they did it like that. They did weren't like this is Spider Man is gonna die. It was just something different, you know. Like they hit it. They they hit it. They just they, they, we all knew that somebody else was gonna be Spider Man or you know was gonna take up that mantle for a little while, but we didn't know he was gonna die. Right. So I, I was a little bit different, but I think that these stories taken on on their face can be very good. Like I go back and read Death of Superman and extracted from the the kind of hype and hullabaloo and the speculative market of the day, I go back and read it and um, it's a pretty enjoyable thing to read. And especially the fallout stuff, as Steve was saying about like Wolverine, the fallout stuff into the Superman is excellent. It's a funeral it, for a friend. Yeah. Funeral yes. for a friend is excellent stuff because you get to deal with finality and it's what comics deal with so very little of that. I think that it's why people get so attracted to it. Like you look at something like, even though it's not a death, you look at the end of, uh, the first volume of Kelly Sue's Captain Marvel mm-hmm. has a definitive ending to it. It's a character making a choice, taking all of the things that have happened and she's learned in the past grouping of issues and coming to a head with it. And that is a very satisfying thing dramatically to to be a part of, you know? Um, and I think that's why sometimes they lean on stories like this, Johnny Storm, all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. because it lets you have a finale that you don't normally get. In, in in these kind of stories where it's just kind of like yeah we beat the bad guy and now oh here we go next next adventure and you get to change that up a, a little bit so I, I i think that it's a it's a good device it just doesn't have that same weight to it as far as just emotional weight because of we know they're going to come back right over the last 20 years how many characters are right. gone and back now and the Peter of the Ultimate Universe being dead, when we revisited, mm-hmm. when Miles went to mm-hmm. Aunt May and whatever, you then have that moment. Yes. When we all love Spider-Man Blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. yeah. It doesn't matter it, yeah. the way it does if Gwen's around right. to chat with. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Those things, and I think that always, always, the side character stuff is always more emotionally gut-punching because mm-hmm. those characters, there's a good chance they don't come back. Right. Um, and, and because of that, that is a really, it's, that's, that's much more emotionally affecting because, you know, you, you look at a, a, a story that let's say you're loving right now, like Ms. Marvel. Um, I can't remember that guy's name, like the convenience store guy that she's like, Bruno. Bruno, 
you could kill off Bruno in that story and it would be hugely affecting. It would yeah. be it would be monumental for that character for something to happen to him. It would be emotional for us. And there's no reason to think that character would have to come back at some point because it, it's not established in that way. Right. Um, it's the same thing with Gwen Stacy. These are, these are deaths that inform our major heroes and you can believe that they'd stay dead. Unlike if you kill off the major hero, you just think about it in a realistic context, Wolverine is a billion dollar franchise right. mm-hmm. you don't get rid of the billion dollar franchise right. well you can kill off happy hogan and iron man and it doesn't matter exactly exactly right. it can be uh, it can be but emotionally affecting doesn't but... stop the books from selling exactly yeah. exactly yeah yeah um i, I want to read off a couple of listener things here okay. about in the superhero vein of stuff christopher haley says it's not the, i'm not the first to say this but let's just lay it out there death in comics is dead a lot of people credit the death in life of superman as the beginning of the end of death in comics um, there is a case for that, but I blame Jason Todd. Prior to Jason's resurrection, you, you knew that while major characters could come back to life, certain characters definitely could not. Jason Todd belonged to a category of dead characters that were too important to bring back. Now that is all out the window. It's open season on corpses. It, it's looking more and more like Damian Wayne is coming back to life. Um, I wouldn't bat an eye now if Gwen Stacy, Uncle Ben, or Jarrell ever came back. Um, <laughs> but Jarrell's been back, sort of. Yeah, sort over of. Over the years. Uh you know, I, I think that I don't. They'll never do the Uncle Ben thing. I just don't think no, they'll, they'll clone Gwen. Yeah, but she's again, had kids with Norman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But uh, even if it's even if it's a clone, like there, I don't think I would. I believe they bring back Gwen Stacy before they brought back Uncle Ben. Yeah. For the matter of fact, the Uncle Ben is the reason why Spider Man is Spider Man. So if you bring Uncle Ben back, then he's not. There's no reason to be Spider Man anymore. Right. When I guess it was John Byrne brought back. Mon Pa Kent mm. had them alive. It wasn't didn't mean as much as if you had brought back Batman's parents, right? Well, of to course. sit around of in course. Wayne Manor, yeah, <laughs> would be like, hey, hey, Dad, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing at the hospital today? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you look at so, like there are certain characters, like Mon Pa Kent, like their deaths don't make Clark become Superman. No, you know, life mm-hmm. makes him become Superman. I- exactly, yeah. exactly. So because of that, to me, that's. Jorel is the same way. Jorel dies to save his son, but he dies with a whole plan. It's like he sacrifices himself specifically, mm-hmm. so you know, it's so that Jorel, so that Kal-El can be who he is. So um, I think that and bringing that character back, which I don't think is a particularly interesting thing to do, because what's the point? But I feel like those characters are a little bit less. You look, I I, I will disagree at one point. I think he's right that since that that the Jason Todd thing happened right around the the Bucky Barnes, the whole, the whole stuff started mm-hmm. happening. I don't count Jason Todd as that important character you can ever bring back just because he was killed off in a gimmick. He was killed off. People voted and they killed him off. It's not like it's not Dick Grayson, you know? And so for me that that's not the same thing, but I do agree that there's been a lot over the years that have been sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in issues where we have superheroes all at war with each other, Mm -hmm. there are lots of deaths and their vision's been ripped in half by the She-Hulk and right. (laughs) And the ultimate Avengers, the Wasp gets eaten by the Blob. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't write Seriously? this. I didn't make this up. No, that's the truth. Oh. You know, it, it, villains have killed entire teams of heroes and brought them back. Mm-hmm. You know, mysteriously at the end. The, yeah. I don't want to spoil too many old events. But I, I death is dead in comics is a heck of a line. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to watch that. Uh, I mean, people haven't watched it. The Max Landis Death of Superman, Death of Return of Superman video is, yeah. is amazing. I mean, there are, there are times when death actually works in some of the bigger companies. Uh, okay. There's a death. Well, I mean, we we dealt with this last year 
or maybe the beginning of this year. I can't quite remember. It's been oof. But um, Jeff Lemire's Animal Man mm-hmm. had a significant yes. death in it that not only was it super affecting, but it it very clearly defined what would happen within that comic and for that character for the remainder of the run. You know, mm-hmm. it permeated every waking thing that happened in that book. It was so significant yeah. that it just, it, it really, really blew my mind that that to take one element, I not even a side, because there really were no side characters. The family, mm-hmm. the Baker family was the character, mm-hmm. you know? You had Animal Man, but like Little Wing was so much more a part of that book that you would have ever anticipated when you picked it up. You know, so to have, you know, somebody so significant to that book be taken away and have it bleed out into all the events that'll follow, that's when I think um, something like in the in the big two deaths, that's when it's fantastic and that's when it matters most. That if they could do more things like that, like you said, side characters, that it doesn't even occur to you how much they are a part of the story and how much they aid the hero or the main character or what have you, that when you take them away it changes the face of the entire story changes the face of the character yeah you know um that's why i think it's a good idea to have like significant others in comics and stuff Mm. like that not just so you have somebody waiting in the wings (laughs) to kill them off (laughs) but if you have that relationship and you nurture that relationship through the years and through the issues and stuff like that and then something final happens for them the fallout for that character could be huge Mm. You know, so I mean, that's that's what I enjoyed. I mean, I, I read things like uh, Sheltered right mm-hmm. now from Image or Saga. Like when somebody dies in Saga, mm-hmm. eh, they're pretty dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's still one character that I'm holding out. I don't necessarily believe that they're dead. And I, I, I just waiting for them for that page when I turn it and they're back. Mm-hmm. I won't say who it is, but um. Like Sheltered. Sheltered is one of those books that when somebody gets capped, that's it. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a death in that book about an issue back. It just just hit shelves again this past week. Came back from the break. The issue before that was major, major. My jaw dropped. I mean, I was like, no way. Mm. You can't. That's a that's a main. All right, <laughs> all right. And it has even in the issue following it. There's events happening in the newest issue right now. There's like there's like four different things that spiral out from from that mm-hmm. death. That's a great death in comics because mm-hmm. it it's the spark that creates the fire for all of these different situations to now to now be you know presented to you as, as a reader and in the story and stuff like that. Um, and I would throw Morning Glories in there as well, even with the wibbly wobbly timey wimey <laughs> stuff that goes on in there. Um, you know, eventually everybody's just going to die in that right. book. Yeah. <laughs> so, the cover of old tombstones, yeah, kids' names on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the end. Uh, we also there was also uh, you mentioned Animal Man and Swamp Thing. There's yes. a rather major death in Swamp Thing as well. Yes, which is, is very emotionally affecting. Again, a, a side character, if you want to call it, if you mm-hmm. want to call it that. Um, but yeah, I know I, I agree with what you're saying, Bobby. Has something you want to, uh, to me, the the hero death that mattered the most to me was probably Jean Grey. Right, because you didn't really see it coming, and from what's been told about the story, that's not the way that it was supposed to end. Mm. But Jim Shooter went, "You can't kill the planet, the broccoli people," so she's got to go. Actually, <laughs> uh, so he wanted her tortured for all eternity on some asteroid, <laughs> and Claremont and Burr went, "No, we'll just kill her, thanks." 
but it was self-sacrifice and heroic and romantic and operatic and all the icks you can imagine it being <laughs> and just very affecting because you didn't see it coming and there was no internet it mm -hmm. was just it was the fate of the phoenix not the death of the phoenix and then it was oh yeah mm -hmm. well it can't really end any other way so it, it can't all be done well but permanence helps great storytelling helps before if it seems organic mm -hmm. great mm -hmm. if it's to sell variant covers right if yeah. it's to make an event out of this six months after so we can reverse it mm -hmm. not so much right i mean yeah. there's that there it, it ends up not being really a a permanent one but there's a death in journey into mystery the karen gillen journey into mystery that happens which when i read that yes oh man i forgot about yeah, that yeah that was like someone had punched me in the stomach yeah uh, i i like i got to the point where it happened and i i think where i closed the book like on my finger where it happened and just sat there and yeah. i couldn't believe it and I, it snuck up with me too because i didn't expect to be that affected by it yeah a and it hit me like a, a ton of bricks and that was one of the situations where, you know, it's, it's the it's the f fallout. It's it's the it's the love of the character. It's wanting something to still be there and it be gone. And therein also lies the re the reason why it's never going to be permanent in comics, because they're going to keep going and they want you to buy the books. And so if having a character that you love in the books makes you want to buy the book more. They're not gonna not have it there. Mm -hmm. They just go on for too long, you know. Right. A year, two years. That that's that's holding out a long time. You know, that's twenty four stories that they're saying, okay, no, 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 we're not gonna have this character, and then bringing them back um, because they just have to eventually because someone else wants to write the book. They need to they boost the sales. Back. They need to do something, and, and it's tough because it's easy to be judgmental of it, right? Because you look at other mediums, you look at books, you look at movies, you look at TV shows. And I mean, TV shows are probably the closest thing, right? Where mm -hmm. you'll have a lot of characters coming back that you think are dead, uh, just because that's what happens. The same thing happens in TV that happens in in comics. Who shot Jr.? Yeah, they have to bring people back. But you look at the, you know kind of the more, um, I guess mainstream mediums, the ones that are known for their storytelling, and you look at it and you say this doesn't stuff doesn't happen there. When you're dealing with Game of Thrones, which is probably the most <laughs> modern and touchstone example we can give of this as happening, when a character dies, they are dead. And you have to deal with it. Like, <laughs> I think George R. R. Armand laughs to himself every time someone sheds a tear over one of his characters dying. But that, And that's one of the th reasons why that show is so popular, right? Is because people don't know... Every character you're watching is always in danger. And that's not what it's like when you're reading comics, right? But George R. R. Martin has the has the benefit of he's going to write this many books and the story is going to be over. And sure, it's a long story, but it it's going to be done. It has a finality. He knows it will end either when he writes it or when he himself passes away. Uh, and it's the same thing with just about everything else. You look at every story, you look at, like, most thing it reminds me of is like horror movies, right? It's like slasher movies where every single time the character dies and then comes back in the next movie with some cockamamie reason. And it's because they don't know how to end it. There's no end date in their brain. It's just... We're going to keep going until these things don't make money anymore. And I think a lot of what the business mind is with comics is that same way. You know, it's, we're just going to keep doing it until no one wants to read it anymore. And when you have no end in sight, 
you have to start there's no way you can hold things back because you don't know when the ending is coming so i feel like it's easy to be judgmental of that but you have to think about what they have to deal with when they're when they're creating these well, things. i think years ago what they did more of was team books particularly it was just a roster change. Mm-hmm. They right. went away for a while. Right. They, yeah. they, they, either their solo books weren't selling or they mm. were retooling. But by Avengers 16, they had a new team. Mm-hmm. Thor went to the trial of the gods and Iron Man had to go deal with whatever he was dealing with. And Henry Pym and Jan left and their book got, their series got canceled. <laughs> but they were around and they came back mm-hmm. and you did miss them in the same way that them being dead. Right. Yes. But they were there when you needed them. Even if you didn't see them for years, mm-hmm. they'd show up again. Now it's sort of, it's way past trope into cliche. Right, absolutely. It's, here we go, they're dead again. And mm-hmm. just saying, movies don't do this much. Blofeld died a couple of times mm-hmm, and right. came back. and Right, same problem though. There's no ending to James yeah, Bond. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> seven actors in and yeah. 50 years later. Now, because of the continuing nature of mainstream books, you know, we were going to talk about some of the indie mm-hmm. things as we get to this. There's one book we're all going to discuss where it matters a lot, mm-hmm. where it's it's the thrust of the entire book. They can take a lot more chances. Right. Issue one, you can kill off the lead character on page one of the first issue, mm-hmm. flashback, flash sideways, doesn't matter. You then have a different set of rules because right. there aren't any. Right. It's, and it's just different storytelling, right? The, the independent stuff, the stuff that we know is independent now, not the stuff that was kind of starting out, which were, was trying to be superhero comics, yeah. just not published by Marvel and DC stuff that is, you know, it contained stories. It's a different beast because you're telling stories that are more like Mm -hmm. long novels than you are telling these ever expanding, ever unfurling modern myths. You know, you're telling something that's different than that. Um, And and I think that, yeah, we'll talk about a a few of those. I just want to mention Don Witzel on on Facebook said um, some of the big ones, uh, the Stacy's and amazing Mm Spider-Man. Uh, you as a reader were so attached and over time loved these characters. Still has an impact for me. Uh, Bob will know this. Alpha Flight number 12. What a shock. Yeah. I remember James ra- Hudson. I remember yeah. racing home to read this and my phone rings and my best friend yelled, they killed Guardian. Yeah. We all loved this guy. Um, you know, so Sammy Cassell says, depends on the context. DC and Marvel have heard it a lot with the resurrection mm-hmm. stuff, but early on it was quite effective. Gwen Stacy, Thunderbird, Peter's uncle. Oh, Thunderbird. Yeah, I actually wrote him down. Didn't talk about it for <laughs> X-Men 95. Are all effective and it isn't the ultimate tale and isn't the ultimate tale of tragic superhero, the honoring of a person's death. It's hard to be a hero if you're all about revenge. If someone dies and imparts wisdom or a lesson that the hero uses to inspire them, then it was not in vain. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Steve. I have a question yes. to put to the group. How do we feel... <laughs> laugh at me. How it's do like we meet the press all of a sudden. <laughs> I like this. Bobby and Bob of Talking Comics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do you feel about the... Seriously, like yeah. when we when we look on... Uh, we were online and we see stuff, you know, Bleeding Cool or CBR or wherever. You know, this character is going to die in this issue. And it's three, four months out. Mm-hmm. Is technology and the internet and just the way that we operate now as a species are are the deaths being ruined for us? I mean, think about it. Like, like you, you know, mm-hmm. called on the phone and oh my god, they didn't. They yeah. killed the guardian. They didn't know. Yeah, Bob. All the times that you had to, like you said, death of the phoenix, like fate of the phoenix, you didn't know, or mm-hmm. the Spider Man issue with Gwen Stacy, you didn't know. Are we now ruined for character deaths because of the internet? Oh, Michael Wagner, 
uh, agrees with you. And he, he has an answer to your question. Yeah, Michael. Yeah. And he says, major problem I have is that death and resurrection is spoiled months before the story happens. Mm-hmm. Having too much info on what's coming does hurt the industry. I've learned to not care about spoilers and just focus on how the story is told. It's the trip, not the destination. I like that. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I agree, mean, I but I still think story it's line, But you're, we've said this before, previews, it's a wonderful tool. Mm-hmm. But between previews and the internet, if you wanted to hide from something, it's probably not possible anymore. Yeah, if you want to hide from something and still get it, right. <laughs> it's hard to... So, I've, we've said this, I think there should be two previews. Mm. There should be one for the retailers, fully say, death mm. of whoever, mm. and you could have a more blanked out consumer edition that would say, big issue, a character you love, something might happen, mm. or, or just say nothing at all. Someone's buying Wolverine is going to buy Wolverine. If the retailer knows to buy enough extras ahead of time, people buy it off the shelf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As opposed to the other way, but the the other way is about selling extra copies and variants and logo editions. Well, that's part of the reason why they do it, right? That's exactly why they they do it. And look, it keeps the business going. Yeah. But as look, you're you're a writer, Mm. Bobby. It's sort of, oh, I, it, you're taking my tools yeah. away from me in a way. I can't surprise you anymore. Yeah, which is why I think they now frame things like this Death of Wolverine thing because, or like the Death of Spider-Man the Ultimate Universe. You frame it so, yeah, you know that's the end, but you have to, but it's the lead up and the build up and, and the things that happen to lead to it. It's like almost putting together a puzzle. Like, how is it going to happen? You know, when, when's the moment when it's going to happen? So you do it kind of in another way. You you haven't, like, the, the mystery isn't that they're going to die. It's that it's how okay. it's going to so happen. It's Columbo as opposed to Agatha Christie. Right, exactly. I, yeah. I've seen them die, and yeah. I've even seen the guy kill him, but yeah. how does he figure out how he dies? Exactly. Okay. I, I think that's kind of what it becomes. Look, I mean, I think there are times where that doesn't happen. Like, Damian Wayne thing, I, I think, was handled very poorly. And I, I think it was just because... They wanted sales of Batman Incorporated to be high for that week, that for that month, so they promoted it everywhere else. Whereas if you were just reading that book and you got to that point, you would have been floored by it. So I think in that sense, it, it hurts it because that's a book. This is not a mini series like Death of Wolverine. This is a the middle of a run of a yeah. book that's been going on for twenty issues that no one's going to understand if they read issue nine. You know, it it, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to them. So to do it, you're just inviting a lot of people to read it and not get what's going on. So I think that stuff is is a little bit um, disconcerting. I think, look, in general, it's very, very tough in any medium to avoid this stuff. You have to be... I, I have to, If I don't watch Game of Thrones the night that it happens, the moment that it happens, I have to be extra vigilant that no, I don't get spoiled on oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Super vigilant. And it's, you know, I've also got the... You've also got the people... Even before it airs, the you should have read the book. People who will try to spoil it for you before it happens. Yeah. So you have to deal with like all, like it from everywhere, you know. And, and it's the same thing that happens with comics. We especially have it tougher because we have to be we have to know what's going on. We get emails, we get listener questions that even if we didn't know would spoil it for us. The, the death of Damian Wayne was spoiled by one of our con- our contributors saying they wanted to review the book because Damian was going to die. <laughs> and I I managed to avoid it because I just saw stories about like. Big thing happening, and I was like, I'm just not going to read it. And then it, it popped through, and I was like, well, I guess the jig is up and now. Um, so Fired. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it's tough to, to avoid that stuff. But I, I think that you have to make – then you have to make the stories about the journey, like he said, and not the 
the final destination. Well, I always say I always say that for people that you talk about movies. I always go back to that movie Identity, the one with mm. John Cusack. Right. Um, spoilers. The movie is pretty old. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to spoil, spoil it for you. Uh, we turn on the movie, and the whole thing is you know several people trapped in a hotel, and and people are dying. Who is it? Yada yada. Um, the movie began, and I think it was the first three to five minutes, and I just went, "It's the kid." And sure shit, by the end of the movie, it turns out to be the kid. Um, I still enjoyed the movie, however. And the person asked me, they said, you know, why? You, I was sitting right here. You called it. How could you, like, you knew the end? I said, yeah, I, I had a feeling about it. But if I feel like, if I figure out a movie or if I figure out a story, you know, 40 minutes before it's over or a couple of issues before it ends or whatever, it does become about the execution and the delivery of that information of that end and of that death. Like if I can figure it out before your reveal, how then are you going to deliver the, the information and the story to me? That's what it, you know, I try to at least get that out of it, mm-hmm. you know, and then same thing could be said about these stories, these deaths that get announced before they even happen. So now from where I'm reading up until that point where this character expires, how how are you going to make me care? You know, how how are you going to make me become that much more affected by this major change? You know, I'm already invested in the Wolverine character. You know, I, I wasn't for a long time while we were doing this. He just he seemed like, you know, the popular guy that everybody loved. And I was like, yeah, he's cool. man, man. <laughs> but as I read more and more and we've been doing this a couple years I really got to see just how much of a part he is of these stories and they've kind of scaled him back a little bit and he's been popping up like when he pops up with Ms. Marvel and shows up that's adorable. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's not a side of Wolverine that you get to see too often or when he's interacting with the kids at the school and throwing himself and his skin's being, you know, seared off of of his adamantium bones to jump in in front of children that endears me to him a lot so in that time i am now you know wholly invested in that death because the writing made it matter mm-hmm. so right yeah absolutely um here's a couple more um dyer harris says saddest arthur jr and aquaman never had a chance uh, <laughs> <laughs> um most brave during walter simonson's run the executioner sacrificing his life to save everyone yeah um Let's see here. We got uh, Declan Glasgow says Jeff Lemire's Lost Dogs is a pretty gut punching oh, death. That book. I would have loved to have been around reading X Men during the death of Jean Grey, uh, and they said the death of Superman is, is on my uh, is on his list of shame of comics he has not read. Um, mm. Yeah. So uh, and Sergio Torres asks, and this is something that I'm going to point to you, Bob, if 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 this is something you know about. Okay. Can you guys discuss Ted Cord's Blue Beetle? Can't. You got me on that one. Was, yeah, I wasn't reading. Was that? Infinite Crisis time? I think so. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Pretty sure that's where that was. And I was, I read it and don't remember it at all. It we, was that good. <laughs> we had a couple people. crisis out. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Sergio. <laughs> we had a couple people um, chime in and be cheeky about the, the fact that there's a character named Death in, <laughs> in Sandman and in Marvel. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> One of our Thanos oldest friends. Paramore. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, G- Gary Chapin says, yesterday on Misfits, uh, one of, uh, um, I think it was Melissa said, um, Rogue, I think she's dead right now. Uh, there's yeah. so much about that sentence that says, death is not doing its job in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, so this is from Tony Azaro, and he says, I've come to believe that characters dying or sacrificing themselves in comics is not unlike any other plot device or trope or what have you. When it's done with great skill, it can be devastatingly poignant or at the very least shocking game changer that can take the, the breath out of you. Um, not in, not unlike death or sacrifice in any other medium. And when it's done ham-fistedly or by a less than skilled writer and the gears on the machine are too visible, the motivations of the creative team too bare it's cheap and groan worthy and it's likely to make me roll my eyes and cynically disengage from that comic emotionally who's that because that's that's, that's my feeling tony azaro tony azaro thank you <laughs> thank you for saying in two and a half paragraphs there what i took 40 minutes to do before <laughs> uh, we have a couple of twitter um reactions too this is from randy ochoa um rz ochoa on twitter it says i think it's all about the journey. The characters don't know they'll be back like we know they'll be. So for them, it is real. Uh, Ooh. Uh, at Jedi oh Hunter 66 uh, says, Death in Comics doesn't work. It's so overdone that every time one is announced, I roll my eyes and think they'll be back in six issues. <laughs> um, this is from Michelle's at Codename Zinc. Uh, on Twitter, death doesn't work when it's a main character in the big two. We all know they'll be back. There is no emotional impact. I enjoy stories where there is a character death with actual consequences for the plot. It lets me know that the author is willing to take risks and create consequences for their characters and not shelter them. This makes me more invested in the story. Um, Superbad Larry says, uh, the worst is Superman. Hashtag mullet returns. <laughs> <laughs> the Richard Lewis Superman. Yes. Nice. Best, he says, is Barry Allen. Uh, or Crisis. Bucky, probably the longest yeah. to stay dead in comics. Um, yeah, yeah. Barry Allen is a very effective one, right? Because Barry Allen is from in, from Crisis on Earths until early two thousands, I think. Jeff Johns yeah. taking over the character and bringing him back. And there's actually interesting. I think it's in. I don't know if it's in Flash Rebirth or Green Lantern Rebirth. It's one of the two. It's both Jeff Johns miniseries that he did, where he brought back uh, Hal Jordan and Barry Allen. Um, where he kind of explains in a fiction way why these heroes keep returning. There's some sort of thing that exists that makes them keep coming back. Interesting. And then he kind of writes the ending to it, and of course that didn't doesn't happen. People still come back, but it's an interesting fiction reason yeah. why these characters come back. So I can't remember which one it's in. They're both worth reading. So if you want to, read it, but uh, yeah. Um, and the Daniel Hoover brings up a book that I, I want to talk about, and I think that. I think is a very good example of this, but he said day tripper proves that death can be, have an mm. emotional impact. Even when you know they're coming back, it's all in the storytelling. So of mm. course day tripper, we talked about it, you know, I think it was like last year at this point uh, on the, on this show, but um, day tripper is a book about uh, a man who you see all the possible ways that he could pass away and the way that his um, his life could be different in all these ways. Having different stages in his life, different ways, all this stuff. But you always know at the end of each story that he's going to die. And you know the next issue is going to be him alive again, just in some different part of his life. Um, and, and I think that it's one of my favorite things I've, I've ever read and one, definitely one of my favorite comics of all time. And I, I think the reason why it works is because it's just that story. It's, you know, it's just going to be that story. It's just those six issues, what have you, where you mm-hmm. deal with this one guy and you're seeing his life play out just, you're seeing it in a very creative and interesting way to put it, which is these are the possibilities of life and they all could be snuffed out in a moment with the wrong step or, or a wrong turn. Um, but it's all about this one guy's life mm-hmm. unfurling in front of you so i mean that's why it works for me i don't uh, bob i don't yeah. know if you want to say anything no, about it definitely that was our 
was on our list for last year, was it? Well, was it's it not new. Before? It wasn't new, so it was just okay. Yeah, but yeah. I, I remember reading that and feeling yeah. the same way that it's sort of it's a wonderful life, mm-hmm. right? From uh, now, that's a dark thing to start with, but from an even darker place because mm-hmm. each ending, it, this is not you know, oh, oh God, they killed Kenny, right? <laughs> this is each one is sad and regretful, and yet hopeful because you do know there'll be a turnaround, but it's only temporary too. It's mm-hmm. just. It's the vagaries of life. Everything changes at every single minute. If you're not grabbing right. to hold on, it, it slips away. Yeah. It's one of the most honest, I think, as well, portrayals mm-hmm. of, of death and, and faces it in ways that books don't. And I think that's part of the reason it's so effective because when, when Wolverine dies, you're not really facing, it's not really dealing with death. You know, it's dealing with here's an end to a story. Like you know, it's not dealing with the actual act of it, which I think is one of the reasons it makes Nature so good. Right. Well, yeah. you're not going to you're not going to read the death of Wolverine and contemplate your own. Right. No. <laughs> you know. Um Day Tripper um is um Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba. Yeah. yeah. And uh I mean that book if you want death in comics, like like you said, you read something like Day Tripper, I mean it's a conversation piece. So much more. I mean, it's a book, but oh my God, if you give that to people, you could then meet up and have just the, you know, incredible discussions. And it makes you think about all the, all the different things that you do, all the different paths that you can take. Even if you leave the house, you know, five minutes later, I always like whenever like shitty things happen, like today coming to the podcast, I forgot my phone. I made it like two blocks from my house and had to come back and, and grab my phone. I was attached to my computer or whatever. And I'm like, oh, crap. Like, you know, I'm going to be late. I got to grab my phone. But then I, I remind myself, like, you never know what the branching paths are. The extra three to five minutes that it took me to go back to my house and be somewhere, who knows if, you know, five, three minutes, if I had never gone back, somebody could have ran a red light, mm-hmm. you know, who or knows? The, or the reverse. Yeah, if you mm-hmm. if you came through, you could have yeah. right. You know yeah. who knows? You never you never know. So so books like that, and you know showing so many different forms of finality and end of you know becoming deceased. It's just it's it's a journey, mm-hmm. you know, for 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 your mind and just to sit there and and, and contemplate. And it set has so much more weight to it. Like you said, when you know that it's a contained thing you're reading a story about this guy who dies and comes back, who dies and comes back. And Mm. each time it matters. And each time there's another, you know, brick on the wall of, of this major weighted story bearing down on you. Absolutely. And Daniel Hoover follows it up saying, I also don't think death works as a plot point or selling point. It's only interesting as part of a character's development. Um, I think it definitely works as a selling point. Wait, yeah, yeah, it yeah. doesn't work. It definitely does work. Uh, they do enough advertising of it yeah. to make it so. And there, are, there's a rising speculator class again. Yes, yes. There are. So you can you can play this off though. Will that cycle play itself out again in the same way? Probably mm-hmm. more quickly now because much mm-hmm. more internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When I was in Canada, is when Death of Wolverine number one came out. Um, I'm always there when they open up. And all of the speculator, all the, you know, mm-hmm. eBay guys were there. And there was about five of them. And they had every cover. They had the sketch covers. They had the Canadian Maple Leaf covers, Scotty Young, all of them, right? People coming in, by flocking to pick up like the eight covers 
that they were. And they were each, you know, they're pricey. They're seven fifty, eight dollars mm. a piece. Ooh. Buying all of them and then, you know, shuffling off and, and whatnot. So this definitely, from a sales point of view, it definitely gets people into the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just a shame that you have to sacrifice, you know, the reveal and part of the story in order to make a couple extra issues fly off the shelves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, it is the business end of things, and it's problematic mm-hmm. as to, is it tail wagging the dog now? Mm-hmm. Well, it's it, fascinating to me because it, that sort of market, though, the bulk of the, the money that's being exchanged, the companies that put the books out are never going to see. When, when somebody sells Death of Wolverine number one on eBay for... If he sells it for a hundred dollars, oh, they see none of it. They that. see none of it. So it's a like a weird, it's a weird thing to me. Right, but they, if they double or triple their sales, yeah, that helps. Yeah, it, obviously, obviously, yes. But uh... Uh, but moving on to more like stories that we think yeah. it works in. I mean, okay. uh, you know, Steve mentioned Sweet Tooth before. Yeah, we talked about Day Tripper. I know Bob. What what book do you want to talk about? Well, I Kill Giants. I mm. think we need to discuss. We did an entire mm-hmm. book club about that, mm-hmm. but. There again, it's a it's a very indie. Well, it was it was image though. So yes. It's not yeah. indie indie. Yeah, but yeah. it had the feel of something very underground. Mm. Yes, and you're dealing with not even the main character, but a character you don't even really see. Yeah, but how that character? I'm trying to be spoilery here, mm-hmm. uh, or should I? Should we? Should it's... I go for it? We or no? Do we on the book club? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Where we have, we have the story of this, we've gone over this all, but the story of a young girl, Barbara Thorson, who has a vivid fantasy life about killing giants with her magic hammer, Kovaleski, and so on and so forth. And what we really discover, uh, her major driving point forward is her mother is very, very sick. Yes. And she's the monster at the top of the stairs screaming in agony. Barbara! uh, And... It's the relationships that build around her fantasy life, her school life, and the rest, and how they're informed by what her struggle is at home. Right. And those relationships she builds as that death does happen are so affecting and so touching and so human. And as someone who's... Oh, we're getting heavy. Someone whose mom died in a similar way. My mom passed away from emphysema, basically died a little bit every day for five years. Yeah. And turned into someone she wasn't. And to read that in that way, it yeah. just tears your heart apart while it then gives you hope as we finish off. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and there's that journey is there and the impact and everything is yeah. there because everything was at play on every page. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I Kill Giants, the story, it, it exists because of death. The whole, the whole reason we even have that story is because, you know, this significant and influential person in this, in this little girl's life is dying and how you know how does she cope with that i remember um when i first found that book i was in rob's basement and i just just the covers just the artwork Mm -hmm. you know called me and i had no idea that that book was gonna go on to become probably my favorite of all time uh just the pile driver of emotions and like i said the the death that i can't think of a of another book where the, the, the death drove the story and was so significant and was so hopeful and happy at the end mm-hmm. that the way that, that um, uh, they, they just, oh man, I can't, I, I can't even talk about it. I get all emotional yeah. about it. I love that book so much. 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's and it's it's dealing with it honestly, right? It's dealing with the the real feelings that occur in situations like that. And look, not everything has to has to deal with it in that way, right? Mm-hmm. There's room for stuff that is penetratingly emotional that makes you feel like you got run over by a truck when it's over, and there's room for stuff that is surface and just fun and and, and full of laughs and, and cool action and all the stuff that we love that, that comics mm-hmm. makes happen. But I think that imbuing, I think the best stuff is, and the best popcorn fare is stuff that's imbued with at least a little bit of, of that honesty about it. Like you look at, we, you know, we, we, we look at Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie, that the opening scene is a very frank look at something very similar to what, what, what we're talking about in I Kill Giants. And that uh, emotional core informs everything else that happens in it. And it gives you a real stake in, in Peter and his life. And, and I think that superhero comics could take a, a page, and uh, not that some of them haven't, obviously a lot of them have, take a page from this frank look at this stuff, uh, which I think could benefit I- I- in those books. I Kill Giants is obviously a very special uh, special book and a special circumstance. I mean, it's one of the more, more powerful things that you'll ever read, mm-hmm. and it deals with you know children in a very frank and real way as well. Because Barbara is a great character, but she is not a sweet little no, perfect no. child. She can be a real brat sometimes. She can be an asshole sometimes, <laughs> and but that's what kids are like. You know, and especially kids dealing with emotions they don't know how to deal with. Yeah. And I, I think that that is something as well, that kind of depth of emotion and the way people deal with things, I think is often left behind in comics as well. I think that you end up with very, very <clears throat> surface and big emotion and not yeah. sort of the, the, the fine the finer points, which is what books like Day Tripper and Eichel Giants do so well, which is the yeah. the middle ground, the stuff that happens in the in the shades. To have yeah. the death, like also when when death actually takes a shape mm-hmm. in books, I think that that's pretty exciting. I mean, in I Kill Giants, death takes the shape of of a titan that is you know making its way to to Barbara's town, which also the story happens to take place in Long Island, mm-hmm. where we record and where we're um, Bob and Bobby and I are from. Um, you know, adding uh, yet another emotional angle to the story that we can relate to. Um, but when that thing shows up, the the ambiguity of the events that happen within those final chapters of that story, and like I, I mentioned it on the book club, the incorporation of these outside people, people that are outside of, you know, Barbara's field, uh, like her 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 mental state. And her seeing death represented as this gigantic beast, but that and then you have her counselor and another girl from school. What are they seeing? What are they dealing with? What is going on? You you mentioned before um, with the Annihilator, how you know playing with the realities mm-hmm. and, and and kind of skewing them a bit. I Kill Giants does that, but does that with death itself, mm-hmm. and it's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I mean, look. I think that comparing the independent stuff to the superior stuff is apples and oranges in a lot of ways because of all the reasons we've mm-hmm. talked about. But if you're looking for stories that affect you in a deep way about something as big as that as the topic of death, <coughs> th- that's where I think you want to look 
for for the most part because even the stuff that was affecting for the most part say for a couple when it happened in comics has now been if not erased lessened because of the the return of all of these mm-hmm. characters so mm-hmm. i have one i've i've saved here to right. the end that okay. sort of well you you take us out Bob. i'll take us out yeah it's a the death of a character who you never see within the book and it brought me up so short again. This was an era, it was the 80s, where you didn't get to see these things. It's Fantastic Four 267, and it's called A Small Loss. And Sue is, is pregnant, and she's in the hospital and very sick because she's gotten, she got pregnant while they were in the negative zone and cosmic radiation, all these things are going crazy. Reed calls in all the greatest scientists he can find, including, brings in... Bruce Banner and Walter Langowski, whatever, and they all tell him the guy you need is Otto Octavius, the world's foremost expert on radiation. And he goes to get him, get, gets him out of prison to come help. And Otto is insane and figures it's a trick. And they fight all over the city and he's trying to convince him, you have to come help my wife. And he finally gets back to the hospital and the last page is that. Steve, would you... It's the doctor speaking to Reed Richards in a, a page that's completely black with a small panel in the center. Uh, doctor saying to Reed, he says, uh, but I'm afraid she lost the baby a little over 30 minutes ago. Wow. I'm Damn. tearing I'm tearing up thinking about it. But there yeah, is <sighs> where we are. And it informed her character through the rest of John Byrne's run, which is about another three years. Eventually would cause her to change her character name to the Invisible Woman. She wasn't that person anymore. She wasn't a girl anymore. Wow. But again, in in the 30 years since, she's had another child and everything is, is better. And but, it'll but take still, some, but that but that is different. I mean that is something again, this is what I think we're talking about talking about before about the shades, right? Yeah. This is something that as a person, that losing a child like that would affect you for your entire life. It, no matter how, how many kids you have, right. how happy you get that that still existed you know and i I think that that is a a character thing that is a very effective Mm -hmm. beat it is why right now certainly through the hickman run with matt fraction and now some of what james robinson is doing with sue reaching out to try to get valeria back when valeria was born it was a a miracle and some first you saw her come back as a 14 year old for some other dimension and that that broke Sue apart completely. Then when she was born, it really was this special child and she mm. has a special attachment to her. It could be played up more here and there. We could we could use some more of it, but mm. it is, as you're saying, I, I read this and fell apart. It was one of the first books that I, as a grown-up, as a kid, you're affected by Lassie, <laughs> you know, and you, you cry at TV commercials. Where the red fern grows. Right. But as I was 27 when this came out. And it was, wow, uh, I don't believe he did that. Mm-hmm. Can't believe you do that to this character and still still affecting to me. Yeah. All these years out. You've never brought that up. And all the time that you've been on this podcast, Fantastic Four stuff, you've never brought that. I thought you were going to say the mailman. The mailman's a very good character, but <laughs> Willie Lumpkin, but he's just sick. Oh. So there you go. All right. Yeah. I think that's a good way to end it. I think that's <laughs> a powerful 
example in superhero comics. It's great. Uh, by the way, Bob, that issue you were talking about, the, the Batman, the Robin Dies Is at Dawn, it's Batman 156. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> do you, are you looking at the cover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's a great cover. Yeah, it's a great cover. Um, Batman symbol very small on his chest. <laughs> yeah, well, he didn't have the big yellow thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So that's going to do it for our discussion on death in comics. Um, thank you, everybody who wrote in on Facebook and Twitter and for being part of the conversation. Um, for next week, guys, we're going to do a, a we're not going to do a full show on listener questions, but we'll do, we'll do a section. But I think we're going to focus on the forums. So if you guys want to have questions, there's already some great questions there. Yeah. So we're going to have to get to a bunch of those. Um, but if you want to be a part of the show, you want your questions read, make sure you go to the forums and go to our listener questions section under the talking comics. Uh, f- um, Category, I guess is what I would call yeah. it. <laughs> thread. Thread. Sub, Tongue Comic sub Thread. thread the, the, or... Yes. And, and write your questions in there. We were going to use them. We have a whole list of them, we but do. I ranted too much. No, so, it's all right. <laughs> next week. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about what's on shelves today. Huzzah. From Archie Comics, we have Archie number 659, Kevin Keller number 15, and Sonic the Hedgehog number 264. We had a death issue and didn't talk at all about Archie. No, we didn't. <laughs> From uh, Avatar Press, we've Whoa. got uh, Cross Badlands number 61, God is Dead number 20. From Boom Studios, we've got Clive Barker's Hellraiser Beastery number <gasps> 2, Clockwork Angels number 5, George Perez's Sirens number 1. Um, we've got Jim Henson's The Storyteller, Witches, number one, Ooh. Glass Broadcast, number five of seven, Peanuts, number 21, Sons of Anarchy, number 13, and Translucid, number six of six. Hmm. From Dark Horse Comics, we've got BPRD, Hell on Earth, number 123, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season 10, number seven. We've got Criminal Macabre, The Third Child, number one of four, Dark Horse Presents, number two, Eye of Newt, number four of four. We've got uh, Strain, The Night Eternal, number two, and Witchfinder, The Mysteries of Unland, number four. Hmm. From DC Comics, we have Batman and Robin, Future's End, number one. Batman Eternal, number 24. Batman Superman, Future's End, number one. Batwoman, Future's End, number one. Fables, number 144. Uh, We've got uh, Green Lantern, New Guardians, Future's End, uh... Infinite Crisis, The Fight for the Multiverse, number three. Justice League, Future's End, number one. Multiversity, Society of Superheroes, Conquerors, uh, Conquerors of the Counterworld. Gotta get this n- one. Number one. Doc, D- Doc, Doc Fate, Fate, yeah. Doc Fate li- Old Lady Blackhawks. <laughs> Who is this written by? This is Grant Morrison again. Is, okay, because he's, no, he's doing, he's doing all the different... One? All the multiversity ones okay. are Grant Morrison, yeah. Sick. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. The Doc Fate thing, I'm pretty excited about. I, wonder, I gotta look this up because I want to see. Who's I doing. was just make. I was make. I remember that they were doing this like very unique. That each issue was gonna come from like a different universe or different place, different dimension or whatever. Yeah. I just wasn't sure if we were getting into you know spinoff territory. No, no spinoffs. They're all him. Just to, there's different artists on everyone. Awesome. Right. Isn't it one and eight are the multiversities and the ones yes. in between are the yes. So this is Grant Morrison and Chris Sprouse Neat. are the is, oh. is the artists. So it's, it'll be nice looking. Um, let's see here. We've got um, New 52 Futures End number 20. Red Hood and the Outlaws Futures End number one. Uh, Scribblenauts Unmasked A Crisis of Imagination number nine. It's the final issue. Sensation Comics featuring Wonder Woman number Yay. two. Supergirl Futures End number one. Superman Wonder Woman Futures End number one. Teen Titans Future Futures End number one, um, Trinity of Sin Pandora Futures End number one, 
Unwritten Volume Two, Future's Apocalypse end, number, one. number Nine, <laughs> Wonder Woman Future's End Number One. What the sensation? Sensational Comics. Who's that written by this month? Uh, I do not. I know. don't know, but, I but it's not Gail Simone. No, no, no. Okay. Just do that one it's, story. It's an anthology. It's digital, two issues to one print. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dynamite Entertainment, Bionic Woman Season 4, number 1, uh, Devilers, number 30, Purgatory, number 1, um, we've got Shadow Midnight in Moscow, number 4, and Solar Man of the Atom, number 5. From IDW, we've got Doberman, number 3, Godzilla Cataclysm, <laughs> number 2, Judge Dredd, number 23, Littlest Pet Shop, number 5, Max Maximized, number 11, Super Secret Crisis War, Foster's Home for Imaginary (laughs) Friends, number one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, number four. Transformers. More than meets the eye, of course. It's number 33. Um, uh, We've got X-Files, season 10, number 16. From Image Comics, we've got Artifacts, number 39. uh, Clone, number 20. Dead at 17. The Blasphemy Throne, number two. Deadly Class, number seven. Field, number four of four. Great Pacific, number 17. Manifest Destiny, number 10. Oddly Normal, number one. One Hit Wonder, number four. Red City, number four. Rise of the Magi, number four. Satellite Sam, number 10. Savage Dragon, number 198. Shudder, number six. Stray Bullets Killers, number seven. Supreme Blue Rose, number three. Trees, number five. Wicked and the Divine, number four. Um, From Marvel Comics, All New X Factor, number 14. All New X-Men, number 32. Um, Avengers number 35, Avengers World number 13, Daredevil number 8, Dark Tower, The Drawing of the Three, The Prisoner number 2, Deadpool Biannual number (laughs) 1, Edge of Spider-Verse number 2, Elektra number 6, Figment number 3, Hulk number 6, Hulk Annual number 1, um, we've got uh, Miles Morales, The Ultimate Spider-Man, number five. Yes. Nova, number 21. Original Sin, number 5.5. We've got Savage Hulk, number four. Um, we've got Superior Spider-Man, number 33. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thor, God of Thunder, number 25. Um, Uncanny Avengers, number 24. Uncanny X-Men, number 26. Wolverine, the X-Men, number nine. And that's it for Marvel. Wolverine, the X-Men, number nine, which is becoming Spider-Man, the X-Men. Yes. Ah. Uh, and I also, I believe Figment is a reprint because uh, okay. three's, three's been out for a while. Oh, uh, okay. So it oh. must be a reprint then. Yep. Yep. It's second printing. So hey. if you didn't get it the first time around. That's awesome that that went to second printing. Yeah. Uh, from Oni Press, Life After, number three. And Sixth Gun, Days of the Dead, number two of five. Um, let's see here. From uh, Valiant, we've got Armor Hunters, Bloodshot, number three of three. Delinquent, number two. Delinquents, number two. And Unity, number 11. Xenoscope, uh, we've got Grim Tales of Terror, number three. We've got Wonderland, number 27. And Grim Fairy Tales versus Wonderland, number three. Sweet. And that's what's out. Uh, by the way, Sensation Comics is written by uh, Ivan Cohen, Marcus Toe, and Gene Ha. Alrighty then. There you go. I will have to make a decision. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can just, you know, you thumb through it and you see what what you think. That is what I'll do. Uh, All right. So that's what's on the shelves right now. If you guys want to get in touch with us, it's at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, or podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com is the email address. Make sure you go to TalkingComicBooks.com and check out all of the reviews, articles, columns, and news that goes up there every single week. Also, check out our sweet of podcasts uh the misfits 
with Stephanie Cook, Melissa Megan, and uh, Mara Wood. They just had their latest episode. Stephanie is not on it. Uh, Katie Rex steps in uh, for her. Uh, but um, they do their top five comic book characters of all time. Uh, talking movies with Brian Verderosa and Chris Oliphant. Talking Valiant uh, with Adam Shaw. And, of course, talking games with our very own Steve Say. Steve, what's on the docket? Justin's coming back For this week. Oh, yeah, I know that is that's like he had death disease last week. That's all you need. Yeah, we're just really? gonna it's gonna be a Justin interview <laughs> for an hour and a half, just all Justin all the time. Yeah, Justin was super super sick last week. Yeah, yeah he was foot and mouth I felt disease very bad. or whatever. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, honest. No, in, in all seriousness, uh, we're gonna be probably talking a lot about Destiny this week. We've all been kind of getting our claws into it. I know as soon as we're done wrapping this podcast, I am going to pound on that character so that we can I'm already do playing our... it right now. You guys don't yeah. even know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a part of the event. We're going to... Oh, yeah, yeah. We're... So what are we going to do? We're going to stream... Yeah, so this is the deal. If people, I mean, uh, tune in to, Steve, to, to the show on Thursday and hear all about Destiny. But if you guys don't know, Destiny is a multiplayer shooter put out by Bungie, the guys that made um, uh, Halo. And... They just put out their first raid, which is uh, it's a six-man thing where it's basically just a gauntlet uh, of enemies and going through oh, like nice. basically like a dungeon. If you think about anything, it's like, it's like going through a dungeon, but in a shooter form. Uh, it's their first one. It's like top level. Um, the the first team just beat it uh, for the first time, uh, and it took it apparently died something like 1,600 times getting <laughs> through it. Yeah, they said it was these guys. Uh, I don't remember the, the, the clan's name, but... They said it was the most challenging thing they've ever done in video games. Oh my god, I can't wait. <laughs> so uh, I know that Justin and Rob are over the level, like they're 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 getting towards the level twenty six, which is about where I you can max things out at. I still don't understand how that works. Yeah, well, we'll again, we'll listen to the video yeah. game show. And we'll talk about yeah. it on that. But uh, once we all get our characters up to high level, that's Steve, Justin, Rob, Jackie, uh, myself, mm-hmm. and Mister Hugh Perry. Uh, we're going to go on that raid and we're going to live stream it. So it might take forever. <laughs> well, you're 16 right now, right? I know. I'm 18 now. You're 18? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm only 11. Yeah. Oh, man. I got work to do. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Secret for anybody playing Destiny and play the competitive multiplayer because you level up way fast. Okay. The Crucible stuff. You, play, you level up very fast. Uh, and very quick, if you are playing Destiny, you want to log into uh, Bungie.net and join the clans. Yeah. There is a Talking Games clan that uh, Mr. Justin Townsend set up a couple of days ago. All you have to do is go to Bungie.net, log in with your uh, PlayStation ID, and then look for clans on the left-hand side. And it's Talking Games, all one word, and mm. both the T and the G are uh, uppercase. Yeah. And you can you know be connected to all of us whenever we're on you will see and you'll be a representative player of the Talking Games podcast. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So make sure you guys yeah. check that out. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, it's at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve? My Twitter handle is at dead underscore anchorus. And Bob? And Bob Breyer at talkingcomicbooks.com. <gasps> I, I figured. You figured. Well, you mentioned Hugh. So Monday was both Hugh and Sarah's birthday. Yeah. So happy birthday to them. And Yay. In the timey-wimey thing we're doing here, today is Stephanie's birthday, so oh, happy, that's true. happy birthday that is very to true. Stephanie <laughs> as well. It's probably what she's doing. She's doing some pre-birthday drinking. If, I, if I'm any gambler. Some pre-birthday I, night pizza. Yeah. That's what I would do. Yeah. We, uh, we could have wished her happy birthday, but unfortunately, I hope she feels better. Yes. On yes. her actual birthday, so that she can have a great time. Um, 
happy birthday to Stephanie, obviously. Happy birthday. Uh, we couldn't do it without her. So Absolutely. Uh, um, Get well soon. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, guys, if you guys want to be a part of some listener questions next week, make sure you leave them in the forums. Uh, review us and rate us on iTunes. Uh, it's a big, big help. And just, guys, keep being awesome because uh, you guys are the reason we do it. So Finger guns. Uh, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> So that's going to do it for the Talking Comics Podcast for this week. For Steve, Sia, Bob, Sayonara, I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.